Well, hello and welcome to episode number 324 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show we learn there's a heavy mix of apologies and lawsuits for Luton's favourite low-cost carrier. Face masks and smoking force a Canadian budget airline to divert to Winnipeg and the last ever flight of an A380 operated by the French flag carrier takes place. In the military news this week, uh, there is uh, news of the military first as the Air Force pick a woman as their top enlisted leader. And we get a first look at the UK government's newly painted A330. And finally, for those who watch Quest TV's Plane Reclaimers, we welcome Andrew from the show, who's here to talk to us about all the ins and outs of taking an aircraft and taking aircraft apart. So joining me in... Joining me in the PTUK studios, which I'm sure is probably reaching around about 40 degrees oh, Celsius. Yeah, absolutely. Is, of course, the very warm, the very sweaty. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's probably a, a, a T- TMI there, I think, Carlos, to be honest with you, TMI. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, mate. It is a bit warm. Um, I'm not going to lie. It is a bit warm in here right now. Um, it's it's fine. I, I I bet you're quite glad that you're in your nice cool little office instead of in here like you normally are. Well, to be fair, I have shut the window because there's loads of ro- road noise from cars that are going past. Oh, again. But have I have got the fan uh, down here blowing some cool air on. Lovely. So oh, that's nice. good. Actually, uh, while I'm in the chair, if you don't mind, I'll just do a very quick correction from oh, yes. last week, if that's okay. So some Far of you away. may remember that we uh, ran a story about the Garuda, uh, Garuda reversing uh, the mask decision, um, and uh, the flag carrier Garuda in Indonesia was scrapping a plan, or they are scrapping a plan to replace the use of face masks for its flight attendants after passengers complained that they could not uh, tell whether the cabin crew were smiling or frowning because of their face being covered. You may remember that story, as I say. Uh, the decision has officially been reversed after receiving backlash from social media users who slammed both the complaining passengers as well as the airline. Uh, so Garuda president uh, if, if, uh, Ifran uh, <laughs> oh <laughs> I'm so, I was doing so well. So it's Ifran Seti uh, uh, Seti Putra, thank you, uh, John, uh, has since said that the face shields will not uh, be, uh, sorry, will not replace face masks, but will be a complement, uh, complement along with them instead. And the corporate secretary, uh, Mitra uh, P- Perantri, sorry, said that the, uh, it's all right, I'm getting my, Carlos is getting his own back because I put a tongue twister in his introduction for him. I said, anyway, they said that the cabin crew uh, would uh, still wear f- uh, masks and gloves uh, during the flights. So there we are. That went well, Matt, didn't it? Matt, yeah. May I suggest, Matt, you just just get one of these into you now. And right, I'll yes. move on yeah. and introduce yeah. uh, the next yeah. <laughs> co-host of this show, joining us this week from his very stately mansion in Buckinghamshire, is, of course... Neville Bounds. Yes, hello everybody. It's a bit warm here too, I can tell you. So we've got the window open, so there might be some wind noise occasionally. Uh, but um, yeah, it's a bit of it's been a scorcher. Have you got today, Captain Al with you? Have you? Oh, that's no, nice. luckily, luckily not. <laughs> not. But it's going to cool down a bit tonight and tomorrow, I'm pleased to say. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, that'll be nice. Uh, but uh, yes, um, so I'm counting down the days until I wear uh, my mask. So I'm going on the, the BA flight to Edinburgh on uh, Thursday of next week. Oh, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm, actually, I'm really, really looking forward to your feedback on that, Nev, actually. Yes. Mm. Just see what it's right? like. Yeah, so that'll be good. Um, but uh, yeah, otherwise, all good. Thank you very much. Excellent. And also back with us this week is the man, the legend, our voice from Charlotte. It is, of course, 
Armando. Hey, guys. I am actually not in Charlotte today, despite the virtual background there. I am on the grounds of the Atlanta Fulton County Airport. So as we're talking about background noise, you may hear there's a pretty good mix of light helicopters, some Cessna 172s, and some corporate jets. Um, so we may get some of those in the uh, in the background. But uh, had a nice brunch. I don't, Matt. I don't know if you got the picture, but I had a nice brunch with uh, Jeff and Steph from APG. Oh, lovely. Jeff. Yeah, Jeff took us over to a, a really nice place here, just uh, near the airport, and uh, yeah, just had a nice chat with them. And I'm on reserve today. So hopefully I don't get called in, and I'll be with you guys for about an hour. Excellent. Awesome. Looking forward. Good to see you back, Armando. Good to see you back. Always glad to be here. So, uh, as you know, we've got a very special guest on today's show. So just in case you haven't heard of where our guest is from tonight, here's a little taster. So we welcome onto the show from the Plane Reclaimers, one of the stars of the show, it's Andrew Keegan. Hello, Andrew. How are we doing? You okay? Yes, very well. Welcome welcome onto the show. Thanks for Star of the show is a bit of a big title. <laughs> I wouldn't quite go so far as to say. <laughs> well, you did feature on episode three a fair amount, I must say, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I think episode four was my biggest, where we went to Stansted and collected all the uh, ex-monarch equipment. It was a, a good, good friend to film that one. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, I, 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 it's it's the it's the boy in me that was literally very excited about that crane. I really need to get out more. I know, but it was just like I like, would give anything to be trying. You know, it's like I don't care how long it takes me to move it. I will move it somehow. <laughs> yeah, I was there for a good hour, and the engines running and everything's moving except the crane. <laughs> I could get the arm to move, the boom to move. Everything would move except the wheels. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those. And the, again, it's that most frustrating thing, isn't it? Where somebody from the office pops down and just gets in it and off it goes. Uh, it's just like... It's, oh. Yes. Uh, I'm still not quite sure how we did it, but the guys at work can drive it, so we're good on that front. Okay, well, that, that, that is the main thing. <laughs> well, th well, thanks for uh, joining us, Andrew. We're going to have a chat to you in just a second. We're going to just say a big uh, hello and welcome to all our YouTube viewers tonight who are joined this, uh, joined to watch us uh, live tonight. Alan Loveday, hello to you. Jonathan Warner, uh, we've got Jenny in Rome. Uh, Masha is on there as well. We have got uh, Auntie Liz in Canada. Um, just scrolling up. Liz, hello to you. Richard Adams. Uh, apparently, Masha says it's thirty degrees where she is. She's rather warm. I think. I think. Um, we're, I think we we actually peaked at something like thirty-two. Early we did. It's, it's quite. It's quite warm here too. <laughs> and also, Chris Griggs. Hello to you as well. And uh, don't forget, if you are uh, listening to the audio version of the show, don't forget we are over on YouTube. You can uh, Google, find us on YouTube, watch um, Plain Talking UK uh, on YouTube. You'll find us on there. And don't forget as well to hit the subscribe button in the bell icon so you'll be notified when we go live next. So we are going to move swiftly on then with our chat with Andrew. So, Andrew, welcome again onto the show. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your Friday evening to, uh, to join us on the show this evening. So we've got quite a few questions to, uh, to go through, and obviously the chat room will probably have a 1,001 questions to ask you as well. But um, I suppose the first question we have to ask you, Andrew, is kind of, you know, 
obviously you've said you've not got a massive, huge interest in commercial aviation, you, you told me before, but uh, you must have a kind of a liking of, uh, of aviation to do the job you do. Yeah, I mean, I started out in aviation eight years ago, just randomly. Um, but as you go through the industry over those eight years, your interest starts to grow. And you tend to learn what other people find interesting, um, where the planes come from, what the plane types are, what materials we can get available to go back in the industry. That's the biggest part of our work. Um, the leasing companies re-deliver aircraft to our facility. They then go up for sale. Parts companies all over the world will buy the aircraft and then give us a list of items that they want to retrieve from the aircraft to put back into the industry. And it's a fascinating part of the job is to see what actually can go back into use. And when I first started, oh, I had no idea that half of these things even happened. Um, and I had no idea on the value of these things either. You know, but it's a huge industry and a huge market, particularly in the US. But um, I didn't realize that it happened quite so much in Europe. I mean, the, the, the engines, I mean, I, certainly from, I mean, we, we've seen five episodes here in the UK so far on Quest. Uh, one of the interesting things for me actually was, was you know, it, it, we're talking millions of dollars here, aren't we, when it comes to uh, the, the, just the engines alone? Yeah, I mean, the engines typically, they, they're removed as removed condition, mm. and yet they still go for anywhere between four and six million dollars each. I mean, if they're removed as a serviceable asset which sometimes customers will pay that because they're desperate to have the engines taken off and put straight back on another jet somewhere waiting for an engine. You can see values on invoices in excess of $10 million each. My goodness. I mean, that, that so, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's huge, huge numbers, you know. Absolutely. And I don't, I don't want to dwell on this, this too much, but uh, obviously we're aware that there is a thing going on in the outside world here that's all making us having to social distance. I mean, what, what impact is that having on, on what you guys are doing, essentially? So for us, realistically, when this first started, we had a lot of inquiries for people who wanted to store aircraft oh, wow. rather than part these aircraft out. So we've stored a couple in our Spanish facility because we've got a place in Castellón in Spain. And that's where we've got a lot of places um, used for parking and storage. Our main base in St. Athens at the moment, every aircraft we've got there is for part out and dismantling. So the request for parting out has gone through the roof because airlines are tending to retire their aircraft early instead of having to maintain them on the ground, which costs a lot of money. So we've seen a few of the big airlines um, retire aircraft earlier so that they can get their revenue back sooner. Um, but all in all, it hasn't affected us drastically like it has the rest of the industry. Um, and we've had a lot of requests from people who want um, us to go to another facility to break aircraft down there. So where they've been parked up for a long time, smaller airlines can't maintain these aircraft. They just can't financially support it so you'll find that some airlines will go bankrupt and the leasing companies have got aircraft stuck in certain places where they haven't been maintained and can't fly so we've got a team dedicated to traveling the world and dismantling aircraft anyway really so andrew obviously if you sort of take us through a quick overview of the process so from the initial is it you get a phone call from, say, a leasing company saying, we've got this A320, you know, surplus requirements retiring, and then where does it go from there? 
So if it can fly, um, they'll get either taken to our St. Athens facility or it'll get taken to Spain and Castellón. Um, and there they'll re-deliver the aircraft. The leasing company puts it up for sale. A parts company will generally buy the airframe. Then they'll give us a list, as they call a harvest list of components they want to retrieve from the aircraft with uh, around about 1,000, 1,200 components. So we'll take those components off the aircraft we got a dedicated team of technicians per aircraft that'll take them off, all in accordance with the manual so that they can be reused again. Um, we have a another team of guys there who will catalogue every component, so they'll create a removal tag with a part number, a serial number, description, photographs, and catalogue every single component that comes off the aircraft. They all then get packed, and then we'll ship them anywhere in the world, wherever the customer may be based. We do have a facility where we can store um, aircraft parts with us and we offer a third-party logistics service. So if a parts company is in America and they want to store all of this stuff in Europe, they'll leave it with us and they'll send us orders through as they get them from their clients and then we'll pick, pack and ship them anywhere in the world. My goodness. I mean, to, I mean, it is literally, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the naive person in me essentially sort of thinks, oh, it's basically a scrapyard for, for aeroplanes. But of course, it, in reality, what you're describing there is it's anything but that. Yeah, I think you'll find in one of our episodes, our one director is very sensitive about the, set, the terminology scrapyard. Right. <laughs> it's far from a scrapyard. Mm. Um, we have aircraft come in, which is serviceable aircraft. The components on each aircraft are worth it a huge amount of money um, and so we have to remove these components with great care and we have to catalogue them accurately because if we input a number incorrectly in a system and we send it to the customer they put it on their database and someone's looking for that part if we put a dash in the wrong place a number in the wrong place and someone's looking for it and we haven't catalogued it correctly they're losing it on tens of thousands of dollars Wow! so our whole operation is around accuracy as well as care and attention to removing the components. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's nothing like what you would envisage. You send your car to a scrapyard, they'll rip the parts off and crush the rest. And ours is so, so different to that. I can imagine. So, I mean, what's, uh, I mean, there's, it's, it, it really is a very unique facility, isn't it? So, I mean, what, 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 is, what is a day in the life of, of, of the, what's the actual, because there's a specific name for the business. I mean, we know it as the plane reclaimers, but it's a, a specific uh, uh, company name, isn't it? Yeah, end of life is what we deal with. Um, eCube Solutions is the company that I work for, and we're um, one of the biggest in Europe now. Um, and we have the two facilities, like I said earlier. Um, but, I mean, a day in the life is, it varies massively every day. We could have an aircraft land. As you see in the show, quite frequently, we'll have an aircraft land, and it's a race against time to get the engines off because they're the most valuable asset. Mm. And every day you lose is a day that they're not fitted to another aeroplane, making somebody money. So time is money, and it is a lot of money, rather than... Um, I, people have this assumption that you know once they land that's the end of it but it's really not it's just just the beginning for our process yeah i bet andrew i have a question so uh, right along those lines it's pretty common that we would have you know an airline retire some some of their it was new to the airline they, then they retire them but but that aircraft like one of like the older 737s 727s 
they go off and continue a whole second life uh, in a different continent or something like that. So when you're taking parts off the airplanes, uh, is it quite is it quite the opposite where those parts actually may increase in value as airplanes get older and older, but they're still flying? Yeah, because things tend to become more difficult to get. So we've got a couple of 747s with us, which people think are an ancient aircraft and no one wants them anymore. But it's quite the opposite. In the States particularly, they used a lot for freight. And so although there's not a commercial market for these aircraft parts to fly passengers all over the world, there's a huge market for them to fly cargo all over the world. So we've got some 747s which are 20-plus years old. But yet all the components that come off are in good working order. They'll go through a repair process and they can be fitted to a freight aircraft somewhere else in the world. My goodness. Do you have a, do you, I'm going off script already, but do you have a sort of a size limit or do you guys specialize in commercial aircraft or can you do something as small as a, a Twin Otter or a King, a King Air or a corporate jet? I think the biggest aircraft we've seen has been the 747. And the smallest we've seen has been an Embraer 170. Um, but we have done some uh, military aircraft, the C-130s uh, we've done. So if, if, it's, if, we can, if it can land our facility, we'll take it apart, basically. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Uh, there's actually, there's, I, I'll, I'll just uh, drop a quick question in from uh, Jenny in the chat room here, if that's okay. And she's saying, uh, Andrew, how did you get into this in the first place? How, how, how did this all come about for you? Uh, it's really, really random. Um, I was working in retail for many, many years, uh, managing retail stores and, some, and, and stuff like that. And a friend of mine was working at eCube and said there was an opening there for somebody working in the um, cataloging parts and packing parts division and I said you know what I've had enough of retail I'll give anything else a go <laughs> so I went there and I started working there and within six weeks I think of working there I became logistics manager um, cataloging components and managing projects and then it's just developed from there really um, I'm really really glad I took that opportunity because the industry is far more fascinating than selling mobile phones um, <laughs> and it's just something I never expected to get into, but I'm really, really glad I did. I can, I can imagine. I can imagine. And Nev, you got a few questions, Nev. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, Andrew, uh, do you ever get requests from the manufacturers that are short of parts? Because obviously as aircraft, you know, uh, go through various uh, ver versions and variants, you know, sometimes you get a request, in, or have you got one of these APUs or one of these, you know, oil filters, that, that kind of stuff? We, we get a lot of requests from all different uh, areas of the business. So we deal with, we've dealt with airlines directly. Um, we've done some big projects with Airbus where we did their um, winglet modification trials. They did some framework trials on the rear doors where they came in and spent 12 weeks working with us, just trialing things on fuselages we had in, in uh, the facility. Um, but we do things all over. There's... Airlines, parts companies, um, there's people who make simulators. They buy a lot of sections from us, which we cut from the aircraft to their specification. We do stuff with furniture companies who buy components and make things out of those. Um, we, we do uh, all sorts of stuff with cabin, uh, cabin crew training where they want the safety equipment from aircraft, which 
generally are not reused as much. And the biggest one recently has become movies and TV. So they buy them from us to make movie sets and, and TV sets for shows. Oh, wow. I mean, so, any that you can, any that you're allowed to mention or is it all a bit secret and hush-hush? I, well, we deal with one company particularly that does a lot of hard, Hollywood films. Oh, and wow. I know that they've done stuff like The Kingsman and things like that. Oh. But I, can't, I can't name drop too much. No, okay. <laughs> but um, the, the companies we deal with, I mean, we, we've done stuff with BBC. I can tell you that much. We did um, a lot with Sherlock. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they filmed an awful lot of that with us on site uh, on one of our 747s we had. So we've done we've done some pretty big productions in collaboration with other people or supplied material to people who make the big Hollywood stuff. Wow. So, I mean, the, the, my question really is, obviously, uh, I mean, we're aware of you thanks to this program that's now appeared on Quest here in the UK. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm sure it is available in the US, but uh, not quite sure what network off the top of my head. Uh, but, I mean, how did it all come about? I mean, how did they sort of find you? Did, who approached you? How did it all, all How did it all happen? Well, we've had a few requests over the years for people who wanted to make documentaries. A lot of the ones previously have wanted to do a documentary about a scrapyard. Right. And, of course, the sensitivity of that is that we're not a scrapyard. Yeah. And then Mon Monster Films approached us and said, we want to make a documentary. We find the whole process fascinating. And we want to come in and do a 10-part series. It'll be about an hour an episode. Can we come in and do it? And after talking to the directors on the angle they're going to you know, shoot it from, um, they agreed to it. And they came in for 10 months and filmed every day that we were working 10 hours a day to capture all of the stuff that they needed to film and then produce this show which has proven to be huge uh, success for us over here it is available online to watch on dplay.co.uk but in certain countries you can't get it you need to use a vpn to watching sorry i think the line broke up there i'm really sorry <laughs> oh dear uh, anyway as you were uh, so i mean <laughs> uh, but, but i mean obviously i, I mean uh, i mean we've not done anything anywhere like uh, what you guys have been through but i mean it, it must have quite an impact uh, i mean how long are they how long are they filming for with you for example for each each episode roughly i mean what kind of impact does that have on your on your your day-to-day -day schedule well we work a 10-hour day so they were there from seven o'clock in the morning to half past five every day uh for 10 months in total and it was good i mean it wasn't too disruptive the only disruptive part is if someone said something they shouldn't or if they wanted to film a certain thing that you were carrying out, a task you were carrying out, a removal of a component, but they wanted to film it from five or six different angles. <laughs> right. And yeah. so you'd have to sort of put it back, film again from a different angle, take it off again. <laughs> but that was a little bit disruptive, but all in all, the guys we were working with at Monster Films were fantastic anyway, you know? So they understood the, the sort of boundaries as to what they could and couldn't ask us to do because of how much it would disrupt our day-to-day -day activities, because we're still working against the deadline for each and every customer, for each and every aircraft. Gosh, yeah, yeah, and you, and you, and you don't you don't want to miss those deadlines because obviously that could impact your you know the, where, where you make you make your money from. Yeah, and at, at the moment we were running on six aircraft at a time, so we run six lines in the UK where we're doing six aircraft every four to five weeks. So 
we have a, like a typical narrow body aircraft. We run on a four week schedule to dis from the minute we take it into the hangar, we start dismantling, taking all the components off, taking it outside to getting the landing gear off is a four week process. Wow. So for people to be there filming every aspect every day doing different areas, because they would leave the guys in the hangar alone while they were doing the engine work or while they were out on the disposal yard or while they were filming me talking to clients and trying to find them solutions for the things that they wanted. But um, we have a strict deadline that we try to meet on every aircraft. So although we had the filming in, we still had to meet those deadlines. Yeah, I bet. So, I mean, what's what's the weirdest thing, in your opinion, that you've ever been asked for to ship out to someone? Oh, it varies. I mean, the, one of the random things since we started the Plane Reclaimers website, we've been listing what we deem things that people would like to have. So ex-cabin crew tend to like the trolleys and uh -huh. the demo kits and the exit lenses and all the little bits you can pop around the house that are kind of cool to have but like you know they're from an aeroplane yeah. yeah yeah i mean you know you can turn a, a bar cart into a, a drinks bar in the corner of your lounge or something and it looks kind of cool or you can have an exit lens above your front door and that looks all right but then <clears throat> recently we've had a lot of inquiries and actually sold out of toilet doors toilet doors <laughs> yeah <Okay. laughs> so we've removed the lav doors off the 747s we've got at the moment and sold out of them completely because people are using them for their bathroom for the door do you know that's do you know i, that is... I, I was then gonna go on the website and order one i i, I... <laughs> actually on on the subject of the store andrew obviously you've got this the, the shop on the plane reclaimers website where you can purchase all various bits and pieces from different aircraft where who who sort of chooses what particular parts you're going to advertise on there for sale you know do you kind of try and think of what people would most want or is it kind of a you know kind of get the most weirdest and randomest thing out to, to 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 put on there well i i tend to go out to the airframe at the very end of the project and we own a couple of 747s at the moment and we buy some aircraft at the end of the process and i go out on them when they're out in the scrapyard and they're coming to the end of their life completely and I'll do a little walk around of the aircraft and I'll make a list of all the stuff that I think that people would find interesting. So recently, like today, we've just launched um, a Boeing 777 and we've taken all of the exit signs, all of the lav signs, the fasten the seatbelt signs, um, anything that was on there that was easily removable, but kind of cool that you could have in your house. All of the aisle numbers off all the overhead bins because all of the aircraft on our website have, have got a registration link to them. So if people have flown to certain destinations or the aircraft's got a particular attachment to the person, they can actually buy something from that specific aircraft. And so anything really that's not going to fill your house but is kind of unique to an aeroplane, I'll make sure the guys take off and then market them on our website. Now, including, I, mean, I was going to say on I was going to say on the website this week. I don't know if you guys look, but uh, Andrew put the Tinkerbell um, so, uh, name off uh, one of the aircraft they've got there with the name on there, and um, you've got that on the on the store for start, uh, for sale now. Has it has it sold yet, Andrew? No. Uh. However, <laughs> however, the um, we 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 cut that off both sides of the seven four seven that we had. And the one side sold 
on eBay, very close to that price. Wow. And then we put it straight on our website for the second site. Um, and it's had an awful lot of views of people and a lot of interest. But I think a lot of people have got to get permission to buy it before they <laughs> yeah. can put it I, in their house. I, I, I mean, Carlos has got something <laughs> on his way to him at the moment. Uh, and uh, he's got a similar problem. Bad. Yeah, You know, I was just really what I was thinking when I was, per, when I was perusing your website in the, the shop section. I was like, how many of these things could I get away with without asking permission? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd be surprised. I mean, when we had this particular aircraft, Tinkerbell, with us, we had loads of windows. We cut all of the windows out of the aircraft. And so many people really, really, really wanted them and said, I don't know if my husband's going to let me or I don't know if my wife's going to let me. <laughs> so some people missed out because they had to wait for that permission Get slip permission. before they could buy it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Actually, while we're talking about the shop, uh, Nev, I wondered if you'd just like to sort of uh, ask a few questions about that. Yes, have you got any? What's sort of what are the most popular items that you get asked for, Andrew? In, in, in well, the biggest the biggest item at the moment seems to be the bar carts. Oh, I wow. just I can't seem can't seem to get enough of them, particularly the half size because they're quite nice and small and sit in the corner of a room quite discreetly. Um, and people use them for all kinds of services. But the people will make them into a bar, but other people are using them in their camper vans. For storage and that kind of stuff as oh, well. Yeah, that's that's very practical. Yeah, it is, it is, and I think that's the excuse they're using to when they're asking <laughs> their wife if they can buy one. Yeah, because um, no, we'll we'll put it in the caravan. It'll be perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we're finding oddly that the demo kits are really popular. Really? What? Well, as in the, the the ones that the cabin crews use to? Yeah, to, the cabin the crew use it. Yeah, that's it. They they're um they're on our website and they're sold out the following day. Every time I post 10, they're gone straight away. Wow. I, I, I mean, I, I think some of that is because we've all wanted to, and, uh, you know, many of our listeners are a cabin crew and they're all going to sigh when I say this. But it's like the, the little boy in me is desperate to tug that cord and make it blow up. Do you know what I mean? Oh, we've always but we sell live, we sell live <laughs> life vests on our website oh. as well. Oh. <laughs> so if you, if you actually want that experience, you yeah. can go to our website. Um, and go to the shop and buy the life vest, and it comes as it would underneath your seat in the aeroplane. My goodness. And I... you can take it out of its wrapper, put it over <laughs> your neck, tie up your cord, and pull the thing, and it'll inflate around oh, your neck. I'm so doing that. And the great <laughs> thing is, is, I don't have to ask anyone's permission. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep an eye out for your order. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrew, <laughs> Andrew you, you've mentioned the website a couple of times. I'm actually on it right now on my iPad, and it's planereclaimers.co.uk. <laughs> And the exhaust nozzle, which is just under a thousand pounds, would actually yeah. pass as a piece of modern art. It's not necessarily overtly an airplane piece. So, I yeah, think no, it's, a, yeah, the tail it's a tail cone off an A three forty engine, and um, they prove to be really popular with people who want to put them as like a chimney in the garden. Yeah. So a little, a little bit of modification, and it looks like a really nice piece in the garden. We know an a, a former A340 captain that might might we might, do. might we might do. want one of those. Yes, uh, I mean uh, whether whether Jilly will let him or not is an, is another question. Well, yeah, <laughs> story. Do you get many people, Andrew, who who want like a, a whole complete section of an aircraft like these? That you know, I think I saw one of the episodes where there was someone who who, who purchased the top half of a flight deck to have as a, a shed, shed or I think it was. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, we sell we sell an awful lot of um of narrow body sections which are four to six windows in length of just from the floor upwards which people kind of have this dream of converting into a, a summer house for the garden or a, an office space for a garden and all of that kind of thing, which looks awesome. Um, I sold the front end of an A320 from the nose back to a guy who made um, a glamping pod in Pembrokeshire. Wow. Um, and he's done an incredible job. I, it looks fantastic. The t- toilet actually works as a toilet. The, other, the opposite side, the toilet is a shower cubicle. The galley is used as a kitchen. It looks incredible. Um, so there's huge demand for it. I had a few customers since the show started asking, how much would it cost me to buy the front end of a 747? <laughs> and I said, it's not what it costs to buy it, it's what it costs to ship it yeah. you need to worry about. Uh, absolutely. So, so r- rough ballpark figure, Andrew, <laughs> how, how much have I got to You are not going to get permission. I don't even know why a... you're asking this question, because Gemma is not going to say yes. So to... come on, the, the 777 <laughs> flight deck, if I just wanted to have that just out the back here and obviously put a cloaking device on, yeah. Um, so All right. I, I mean, I, I mean that figure, please, that's Andrew. The plus, plus yeah, yeah, yeah. That figure, perhaps, and plus what it would cost in divorce lawyers and things like that. Yeah, I, you wouldn't get you wouldn't get any change of twenty five grand for the flight deck. Oh, yeah. I, he's act, that <laughs> is the face of a man who's thinking about it. You might, might want to you might want to buy a section, a cabin to go with it, so you got somewhere to live. <laughs> 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 you know, I'm sure. I'm sure there's quite a full a lot of people listening to the show who uh, who would um, probably like to do that same thing as well. To oh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot. Of, yeah. We do get an awful lot of people asking the general public since the show started. Particularly, we have inquiries that come through because if there's anything that you want that's not in our shop, there's a contact us link on the website that you can actually email me and ask for random bits that are not there or quotes for cut sections of bits of fuselage or whatever you want. And we do get a lot of people asking for fuselages. Actually, Nev, I was going to say, Nev, we've got a question from uh, Lane in the chat Yeah, I was going to say, um, Andrew, in the chat room, uh, Lane Street asks, have you sold any cockpits to flight simmers? Yeah, we sell a lot of... um, Our biggest part of our business before Plane Reclaimers launched as a TV show is the training and simulation world. And uh, a lot of people are buying... It's particularly the narrow body 737 new gen and A320 flight decks. So we do sell, we don't crush one, let's put it that way. They no. all get cut and, and they all get sold into the sim world, whether it be a private sim person or whether it's a company that makes simulators. Yeah, I know my company, I work for a small uh, part 135 airline and they were looking at buying a cockpit for the aircraft that we fly just to use as a procedures trainer because there's no publicly available product like that. So they, they were looking at contacting an organization like yours just to basically get this uh, cockpit chopped up and, and shipped out to our training facility in Denver where um, they could use it as a procedures trainer. So, yeah, it's not just flight simmers. It's, it's you know, going on to a second life as a, as a real pilot training device. Yeah, and, and we, we have contacts in the industry all over the world that if people come to me and ask me for something and I haven't got it, then I'll go out and reach out to people all over the world um, who may well have one, and we'll try and source one from somewhere. 
Is there anything you've, you've got yourself at home, Andrew? I know obviously you, 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 know, you, you work with this every day, you see this every day, but is, is there anything you've got at home which you can sort of admit to that you've got? As <laughs> yeah, a... I mean, um, in the first episode, um, you'll see the guys from Plane Industries who are the furniture guys. Oh, yes. And Ben, the guy who's in the show with me, uh, actually gave me one of the clocks that he makes for Christmas. And it's made from an A320 window. And that's an awesome bit of decor. I mean, I really, it's a nice piece to have. And it's not huge. I mean, I got given it, so I'm, I'm all right with putting it on the wall. Um, <laughs> as you will be, Carlos, when, you're, uh, when your window from the seven, uh, 777 arrives. <laughs> oh, I do hope Gemma's uh, listening because she doesn't I'm so, she, She's not listening. She's not listening. I, I, this, this will be the one and only time in the, in the how many, many years we've been doing this show that yeah. she's probably sitting there with her phone going, oh, he's bought a what? Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no. Now, but, we, now I mean, we, they're, we, the, they're the coolest thing I find. I don't, they're my favourite thing. If you're going to have anything off an aeroplane, the window section is by far the, the like, almost coolest thing you can have. Because it's got so many things you can make out of it. <laughs> oh, it's going to hang there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. With a photo of you and your wife in there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That is yeah. ab- that's perfect. Ex-wife, I, like I should say. Well, that's what you told me. That's what you bought it for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, this is, this is hashtag it's gonna cost. It's going to cost me a holiday anyway. So yeah, it's going to cost you diamonds. Never mind a holiday. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. There's... Uh, uh, I mean, unfortunately, we're sort of rapidly running out of time, unfortunately, because I know you've got to uh, escape. We've got a couple of questions, I think, in the chat room, which we're just going to go to. Uh, yeah. This one here from Tony S, and he's asking, uh, which type of aircraft um, are, are sort of are, are po- most profitable for spares? Um, at the moment, the biggest we see are the A320 family and the 737 new gen aircraft. They, they tend to be the biggest money makers. Wow! Uh, I, I'm, uh, the, see, I think everybody's obviously looking at your website at the moment because it's like Lane is saying, "How much for a thirty-seven throttle quadrant?" <laughs> <laughs> um, the last one we took from a seven-four sold on our website for twelve hundred and fifty pounds. My goodness! Um, Actually, that's, that's wanted, better than I thought. The, mm. the problem, the problem with um, any of the narrow bodies is because we sell the flight decks as a unit. If I started cutting throttle quadrants out and all that sort of stuff, it completely devalues the the flight deck, and the flight decks are worth so much money that we just wouldn't cut them out. Wow. Wow. Now, we always have one question that we ask all of our pilots and everyone, and I'm going to throw this one to Armando, uh, who, are, who will no doubt tailor it perhaps to, your, uh, to what you do for a living, I'm sure. So, uh, Armando, uh, it's time to ask that question. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll make it a two-part question. Ooh. So if, if money was no object and there was any one airplane in the world, whether past, present, or maybe even future, that you could, two-part question, one, fly or fly on, and two, chop up, what would those airplanes be? Uh, the chopping up one so far for me has to be the 747. Because it's such an iconic aircraft and everyone seems to love it. Yeah. And no matter which airline it comes from, there's huge, huge interest in every single one that we do. So for me, that's the best, the, the most exciting one that we ever cut to pieces. To fly on, oh man, it's going to have to be something really new. 
you know, like a dreamliner, because I just find that how the older ones were, and I mean, they're still a cool aircraft for their day, but I mean, the way things have progressed and how the interiors are so more stylish and the seats are so much more comfortable, it has to be something like that for me. But I'm not, I'm not a massive um, commercial aviation fan, as it were. So as long as I'm sat and I'm comfortable and I get to my destination and it's nice and smooth and comfy, I don't, you know, it's, that's all that matters to me. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just pictured something, you know, as all of us aviation enthusiasts, we're always getting onto an airplane and as it's flying along, we're analyzing every noise and every, you know, listening to the conversations around us of people that may not necessarily know what they're talking about. But I can yeah. only imagine you getting on an airplane to go fly somewhere and basically valuing that airplane <laughs> as you're walking down the aisle. <laughs> I, 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 the funny thing is I do. I'm like sat on a brand new Airbus and I'm looking at the, the interior and I'm like, yeah, do you know these things? I'm telling my wife. I'm like, see these, the passenger service units above our head, you would never believe how much those were. <laughs> you know? Yes, and, she, and she's just sighing going, yes, dear. Uh, yes, dear. She's like, I don't even I... know what plane we're on. She said, but I bet you could tell me exactly what plane we're flying well, on. Yes, too, right. <laughs> well, yeah, it's on the safety card in front of your face. <laughs> So obviously, obviously, Andrew, we, we've uh, we've got to let you go to get back to your to your barbecue. But before you go, obviously, give uh, give yourself a big plug. Obviously, the websites and where people can find out more about you on social media. Yeah, so we've got um, an Instagram page uh, at Plain Reclaimers, and we've got a Facebook page, Plain Reclaimers, as well. All the latest um, products that we're listing on our website. Any new uh, aircraft that are coming to the shop, or any um, like hot releases, are all announced on there. But if you're interested in going to plainreclaimers.co.uk, you'll find our shop uh, fully stocked in there with um, six different aircraft types, I think, we've got listed in there now with all kinds of things from the numbers from the seat aisles uh, to the windows, throttle quadrants, seats, you name it, they're all there. Um, and if you've got anything that you'd like to buy but you can't see on the website, hit the contact us page and it'll come straight through to email and me. Oh, Excellent. I, I cannot stress enough, guys, if you're listening to the show um, and, or watching the show, you need to take yourselves over to the Plain Reclaimers website and click on that shop because it is a real Av Geeks heaven of stuff. Treasure trove. It treasure is a treasure trove. <laughs> Honestly, you could, you could literally empty your entire bank account with, uh, with one look at that page, so take yourselves over there. But uh, before we say goodbye to you, Andrew, we're going to say a big thank you, uh, thank you to you, not just for being on the show, but also uh, Andrew has very kindly um, given us a voucher um, for uh, £150, I might add, to spend uh, on the shop. And uh, we're going to run a competition uh, with details coming up um, in a future episode very shortly um, for that competition to win so that you can get yourself a voucher for £150 to spend in the shop on something uh, lovely. Well, something aviation-related, so it's yeah. absolutely and, awesome. So we're going to say a big thank you, Andrew. And the divorce you, that Andrew. they're going to have to pay for the divorce exactly, themselves, yeah. essentially. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, so thank, thanks for that, Andrew. It's, um, it is incredibly so generous, generous of you. you. Yeah. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Oh, lovely. So, well, Andrew, from uh, well, on behalf of everyone here, all the hosts on the show, and from all our listeners, uh, Andrew, a massive thanks for coming on the show this evening and joining us. And, uh, yeah, stay in touch. It will be uh, great to, uh, to speak to you again uh, in, in the future. Yeah, certainly. Give us a shout anytime. Okay, great. Thank you.
Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. If you want to take your knowledge to the next level, sign up for a subscription at the A320 Lounge. Our online video courses combine whiteboard-style lessons with full failure demonstrations shot in 4K in state-of-the-art simulators using a professional production team. Go into your next simulator session with confidence, having seen failures run in real time and with the background knowledge to answer any questions from your instructor. To get more information and to sign up, visit a320lounge.com. Oh, how good was that? How good was mm. that? Oh, I enjoyed that. Thank you, Andrew. That so was, good. Yeah, that was. Absolutely. Yeah, you are going to be divorced by the end of, of the year at this rate. <sighs> Man, it, honestly, I, I went on there today because uh, Andrew posted on um, Instagram, on their Instagram account, that they're obviously releasing the, the bits and pieces from the 777 uh, they've got on site. And uh, you, uh, you, honestly, you could literally just go on, I'll have that for that, I'll use that as a, as a table, I'll have that to put, and you could just, it is a literally a man cave heaven if you want to put it like that kind of thing. But um, somebody no. I work with is also watching the show at the moment, and uh, he has expressed some interest already in in aircraft parts that he might want to have in his man caves. <laughs> well, what he needs to do yeah. is to enter our competition, which we're going to go into details on next week. So make sure you stay tuned mm. next week, and you will find out how you can go about winning the one hundred and fifty pound voucher that the plane reclaimers have very kindly donated for us to give away mm. as a prize. So. And trust me, you can get some really, yeah, really absolutely. cool things for that on the website. No, it's really exciting, really exciting. All right, I suppose we better do some, uh, I suppose we better um, well, do the rest of the show. Yep, so um, we are going to, well, we're going to continue the show as we do then each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So, everyone's ready? Yes, indeed. Uh, Armando is going to start off uh, the commercial section for us this week. The NetJets fractional share operation has become the first FAA Part 91K and Part 135 business aviation operation to receive FAA support to launch an Advanced Qualification Program, or AQP, for pilot training. Now, the company has been working on this effort since 2018, but the process actually began 10 years earlier when NetJets transitioned to training to Part 121 standards. The first NetJets uh, fleets to transition to the AQP are the Citation Sovereign, the Citation Latitude, with the Citation XLS next on the schedule, this will be followed by the Bombardier Global Embraer Phenom 300, the Bombardier Challenger 350 fleets later this year. Next year, the Challenger 650 and the Citation Longitude fleets will be added to the AQP. NetJet's Gulfstream fleet will be the last to follow, which will be done at the Flight Safety Learning Center in Savannah, Georgia. Training on the other fleets will be done at the Flight Safety Center next door to NetJet's headquarters in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, NetJet's had already implemented a higher standard of training under a program where the FAA recommends that charter operators train pilots to Part 121 standards. They've done that from 2008 to 2018. This included implementing an Aviation Safety Action Program, or ASAP, and a Flight Operations Quality Assurance Program. 
Metis also more recently added an air carrier designated examiner program where FAA inspectors oversee all training and checking and are dedicated to the NetJets operation. All of these efforts got NetJets uh, nearly all the way to meeting AQP requirements, and the FAA encouraged the company to work with them to achieve full AQP status. So AQP steps up pilot training to a much higher level uh, compared to traditional business aviation processes. Uh, what we have found is AQP allows NetJets to develop a training program that is appropriate for us and our pilots, said Sean Kennedy, the NetJets Director of Operations and VP of Operations. He says they can focus on where they need to improve and be better prepared for our flight operations. So a key part of AQP is adding real-world scenarios to flight training based on FOQA information and the NetJets fleet, or from the NetJets fleet. AQP is a whole different ballgame, he added. It's a custom program for NetJets and the FAA to look at data and decide what you need to meet what you need to meet the next cycle of training. The requirements change every year, and it's relevant to what's happening in the industry. NetJets prides itself on uh, unwavering commitment to safety, said the COO, Alan Bobo. We are thrilled to be the first private aviation company to receive support from the FAA under this new program. The standards for safety have always been the top priority for NetJets, and we look forward to continuing to evolve our service safety, and success with the AQP. Hey, so uh, I was recording this. I wasn't sure if I was going to be on the show or not. So, yes, it was a very quick change of clothes that I did. (laughs) (laughs) He's like Superman, isn't he? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, one of the things that I realized as I was actually recording this was that a lot of people don't know the difference between those FAA parts uh, and they're parts of the regulations the federal aviation regulations part 91 is general aviation and general flight operations um, but it actually applies to all things there are rules in FAA part 91 that apply no matter what kind of flying you're doing Uh, part 135 is a little bit higher up it's scheduled carrier operations air taxis Basically, that first level of aviation where you're making money or charging people for a service. Uh, that's the, the simple explanation for it. There are different categories within those FAA regulations. And then part 121 is those major airlines. They're bigger. They're uh, regional carriers, those major air, airlines like uh, Southwest, Delta, you know, names that you've heard of. So... The, the big difference between these are stricter and stricter either rules for crew rest or training or maintenance. Uh, and that's, that's the difference between Part 91, 135, and 121. Uh, part 91K is basically something like NetJets where it's a fractional ownership. You technically own part of an airplane. And uh, Part 135 is, is charter operations. So the idea that NetJets is now training to a, a major airline standard is a huge step in their company evolution to, to really make them a, a standout organization in, in the charter world that now a customer knows that their pilots and their aircraft are maintained 
and train to the highest level possible per the FAA. So that's why those parts are important and why it's a big story. It's always mystified me, these part things over in the U.S. So I've always been quite interested in it because obviously in the, you know, in the U.K. we have a, you know, a commercial airline, a cargo airline, one that fl- you know, flies this one, whereas you have these designations for the different um, types yeah, I do believe that IASA does have similar types of things. I don't know what if they call them parts or subsections or mm. or something, but it but there are there are differing levels of training and maintenance standards in, in Europe also. So moving on to story number two, Matt, and um well it's it's a it's a low cost carrier anyway. It is absolutely Luton's favourite low cost carrier. I think oh, oh be... Luton Airport! Yeah. <laughs> we all love Luton Airport, don't we? Uh, yes. So, uh, rough uh, headline on this one is uh, uh, coming from um, uh, our, our source on this is Bloomberg dot com, and the headline is EasyJet lawsuit over data breach attracts ten thousand passengers. Uh, so we talked about this when the news first. Uh, broke of the breach uh, to hear what we had to say obviously catch up on episode 319 it was actually our top story there um so uh that the headline is uh, sort of summarized really so easyjet plc faces a lawsuit over a data breach uh, disclosed last month that potentially exposed uh, private details of 9 million passengers more than 10,000 people oh, that's not joined. me uh, well no absolutely I have, well you, you'll probably get a letter to be fair if that is the case I would have thought more than 10,000 people have joined the suit uh, since it was filed last month according to law firm PGMBM victims are entitled to as much as £2,000 that's $2,500 in compensation meaning uh, the case could be worth as much as 18 billion pounds uh easyjet said last month that 18 billion that's a frightening number isn't it uh i mean can you get insurance against something like that anyway uh easyjet said last month that the email addresses and travel data of about oh travel data so presumably does that mean passport data as well possibly about nine million customers were taken by hackers in one of the biggest privacy breaches to hit the airline industry the credit card details of roughly 2200 people were also accessed so just to be clear um there is uh uh, so just to be clear uh sort of ten thousand times two thousand pounds equals around about two billion uh right okay um sorry i'm being yes okay oh right sorry yes I'm not. I'm not understanding the signals. Sorry, that's my fault. I'm being told off in my ear by John. Uh, so, so just to be clear, ten thousand uh, people times two thousand pounds does not equal two billion. Um, so the two billion um, comes from two thousand times nine million passengers that it potentially exposed. Um, so the figures uh, there here are a little bit mi- misleading. Uh, this is what John's written uh, on the story here. So the fact that uh, GDPR was breached, though, is going to probably mean a huge fine. 
new new laws introduced mirroring Europe's GDPR rules allows fines of up to 4% of annual turnover for the company. In 2019, BA were fined at £183.4 million because of the 2018 hacking breach, the first such uh, fine in under those new rules. The fine itself was only 1.5% of BA's 2017 global turnover so far, less than the maximum, but the fine hasn't actually been paid. The Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, said that British Airways had agreed to an extension of the regulatory process until the 31st of March 2020. I'm sure the last thing they want right now is to be paying that bill. Uh, worth noting also uh, that earlier this month, uh, May 2020, legal news service MLEX reported that the UK Information Commissioner Elizabeth Denham, who leads the ICO, told an online conference that the final penalties against British Airways wouldn't be announced before August. Uh, except in unusual circumstances, the ICO is meant to issue final fines within six months of issuing its notice of intent to fine. In April, the ICO said that in light of COVID-19 taking a big bite out of both businesses, the final fines were sure to be much lower. The, uh, the ICO has also said that for as long as the pandemic continues, it will be applying to all of its efforts a more flexible one, uh, empathetic and pragmatic approach. Um, I mean, there's lots of points really in, in this story which uh, perhaps we should touch on. I've just um, checked my emails. I've got nothing from EasyJet. Right, you've got nothing. It's all about you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, I just, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's there's a couple of things here that that, that worry me. Um, really, is it's, I mean, I mean, they say travel documents, but they're not specific about it. I mean, I mean, a lot of damage could be done, couldn't it? Really, if you've, if if your passport number and details, for example, have been infiltrated. I mean, what are your thoughts on this, Nev? Well, of course, it's not the first time there's been data breaches, whether it's passport information, credit card information, you know, whatever you like. And of course, until you start paying for your airline ticket by cash, which is never going to happen now, no. um, then you're going to have a problem there straight away. But this is, I won't say it's commonplace, but it's more common than you would think. And uh, of course, trying to uh, reverse engineer all of this once there has been a data breach is a real problem. And I, I would not like to be the person or the organisation that has to do that. Responsible for that. Uh, uh, Chris Griggs has been in touch in the chat room. Interesting point here, Carlos. Uh, he was saying that the email I received said that your passport and credit card details were not accessed. Now, we do know that for about 2,000 people, that is very much what happened, didn't it? Um, well, it's nice. It's good if they're emailing you to say that that you you haven't been um, you know affected. That's that's good. Mm. Yeah, Mash um, is also uh, saying she had the same e email as well. Actually, to be fair, um, that's sort of uh, a, 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 you know I don't know. Well, perhaps you were exempt. Um, uh, also, I should just say that uh, the uh, the sources that we had for for a part, large part of that were the BBC and also Skift and the bank uh, bankintosecurity.com is where uh, the information came for that. But it's not the only reason that um, EasyJet are in the news this week. Uh, on the Independent, uh, the headline uh, on that uh, online publication, independent.co.uk, said EasyJet is sorry after misleading cancelled passengers over refund rights. Uh, so because of the coronavirus pandemic, EasyJet will run only three out of ten of its planned schedule for 
um, uh, for July, August and September. A week after it resumed flying, the carrier had started notifying passengers about thousands of cancelled flights. But the airline has told some passengers whose flights had been cancelled that their departure was merely being changed, even if that has been switched to a different airport or is leaving on a, a day and a half later. That's interesting. Uh, a customer was sent a standard email headed important changes to your upcoming EasyJet flight. The message did not mention that the original flight had been cancelled, but instead indicated that it had been switched to Tuesday evening almost three days later. Cancellation is deemed to have occurred where the planning of the original flight is abandoned and pa- travellers are invited to join a separate departure. <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting it. Uh, Under European Air Passengers' Rights Rules, airlines' customers whose flight is cancelled must be offered a choice between a full cash refund and an alternative flight. Uh, The refund must uh, must include the return leg, even if it's still going ahead. If the closest alternative flight on a rival carrier, uh, the cancelling airline must pay for it. Uh, after the independent contacted EasyJet, the airline admitted it had failed to offer the full range of legal options. We are very sorry that this has not happened correctly and are now correcting this to ensure the communications being used by our customer service team display this as an option. The airline has also said that if EasyJet has no suitable alternative flight within 24 hours, passengers may rebook on another carrier and claim back the cost. The Civil Aviation Authority says it is looking into the case and will consider whether any regulatory action is required to protect consumer rights. Um, So yes, I mean, that's an, an interesting one. Really? I mean, is this just a bit of a PR disaster, Nev? Because, I mean, I dare say they're just sort of trying to think. I don't know. I I can't help but wonder if this was being worded as a way to sort of, like, if you rang them up, they'd probably immediately give you what you wanted. But it was. I I wonder if it was a clever way of trying to hang on to their cash, basically. Well, I don't know about that. You might be right, but I think it's, uh, if you wanted the definition of backpedalling, I think that article sums it up beautifully. Okay. It? <laughs> so, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, as we said before, you know, BA have had this problem as well. And it's, the trouble is that these organisations are very big. They are worldwide uh, aircraft or airlines and they have, um, you know, ticketing centres all around the world. Stuff's going to happen, isn't it? Um, and obviously they do, everybody does their very best to make sure that there aren't data breaches and difficulties, but it doesn't take much to for something to happen. And you, you know, with your own bank accounts, you know, you get a, uh, information from your bank to say that your security details may have been compromised or whatever it was. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big problem. It is. Agreed. Yeah, on the, the part about rescheduling flights and cancellations versus reschedules, I think we did a story a couple of weeks ago. I, I think it was United Airlines here in the in the States that was the first to sort of test the waters on, on these, uh, the vernacular of canceling and moving <laughs> flights around. Yeah. And it, it had to do something like that. It was, I, I think, we'll have to go back and, and listen to our, to our own story, but it, it had timelines on it where within three hours, it was considered that same flight. If it was within six hours or you were able to complete the flight within six hours of the originally booked or, or scheduled times, then it would only count as a delay. And then within 24 hours, and it was this whole thing. And there's legalities that go along with this. Aircraft or airlines have to have certain completion rates. 
sometimes into cities, sometimes uh, for passenger loads, for investors. Um, sorry, this is going to get loud. There's a beautiful Gulfstream 5 taking off. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure EasyJet and many other airlines are in the same boat. They're trying to find out the legal line that they have to walk between cancellations and reschedules, uh, both for passenger refund rights, but maybe for their own ability to maintain flights into and out of a city. Yeah, I mean, perhaps I'm being really cynical here, aren't I? I mean, I'm sort of saying, you know, I think this is a, 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 a I can't help but feel that this was worded in such a way that it might um, discourage a few people who weren't quite familiar with their rights, perhaps, to leave their cash within the company. I mean, that's perhaps uh, slightly libelous, <laughs> but uh, there we are. I don't know. That, that's my personal opinion. Anyway, that's that's what I reckon. I'm probably wrong. Let's be honest. I usually am. Uh, Carlos, <laughs> let's uh, move on to the next story. That is with you. Yeah, this next story, kind of troubling, worries me slightly, <laughs> even though I don't live in the particular country. But uh, this one is coming from a few news sources, bbc.co.uk, uh, edition.cnn.com and cap. Yeah, or C-A-A, capiscaistan.com.pk. Blimey. The links will be in the show notes, I'm sure. But uh, the uh, one of the headlines is, almost one in three pilots in Pakistan have fake licenses, aviation minister says. So this one is over in Islamabad, Pakistan. They say that uh, more than 30% of civilian pilots in Pakistan have fake licenses, and are not qualified to fly, the country's aviation minister revealed on Wednesday. Addressing Pakistan's National Assembly, Ghulam Sawar Khan said 262 pilots uh, in the country did not take the exam themselves and had paid someone else to sit on their behalf. What? <laughs> they, they said they don't have flying experience, he said. Aviation Minister Ghulam Sawar Khan shared the findings of an initial report into May's crash on Wednesday, but also referred to a wider government probe, which had been launched after a different crash. Following that 2018 crash, it was discovered that a test date on the pilot's licence was a public holiday, suggesting that the testing could not have taken place on that day. Pakistan has 860 active pilots serving its domestic airlines, including the country's Pakistan International Airlines, or PIA, flagship, as well as a number of foreign carriers, Khan said. Uh, PIA has grounded all its pilots who hold fake licences imme effective immediately. Probably a good idea. So PIA acknowledges that fake licenses is not just uh, a PIA issue, but spread across the entire Pakistani airline industry. Spokesperson Abdul Khan said, adding that some of the fake pilots also fly for other carriers, foreign carriers. Uh, PIA spokesman uh, confirmed to AFP news agency that the probe found about 150 of its 434 pilots had either bogus or suspicious licenses. He said that we have decided to ground those 150 pilots with bogus licenses with immediate effect, he said. Some flights may be cancelled as a result, the airline has also said. The results of the investigation were announced on Wednesday as part of a preliminary report into a plane crash that killed 97 people in the southern city of Karachi on May the 22nd. The PIA plane crashed after taking off from Lahore, killing all but two of the passengers and crew on board. While controversy uh, controversy exits or exists, sorry, due uh, to around fake licenses, 
in PIA and Pakistan. The preliminary investigation shows that on flight PK-8303 on the 22nd of May 2020, the captain and first officer were adequately qualified and experienced to undertake that said flight. Information from AAIB preliminary report, page 13, section 9, subsection 20, part M, links to the preliminary report, uh, which will be in the show notes for this week. Kind of worrying a fake license i mean now i mean, I mean i've got several issues with this obviously being the nervous one amongst us i mean the first thing is though genuinely one of the things that that has occurred to me is it's not like getting into the driver's seat of a car it's not something you can kind no. of have a bash at do you know what i mean i, like... I often i often take take the proverbial out of some of our the forklift drivers that i see out and about and say and one of the things which i'm sure nev matt and uh, probably John, our producer, and, and Armando would know is, is did you get your license out of a cornflake box? Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it turns out possibly in this case some pilots have. Uh, there's, I mean, it's, but also, I mean, it's not like, uh, please don't be offended when I say this, Carlos, but it's not like just jumping onto a forklift and driving it around. No. I mean, I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you, you know, let, let's go with the, you know, the, the workhorse of the aviation industry, the 737-800, yeah? So the one mm, that, you, yeah, know, yeah. you know, Ryanair and everyone all uses. If yeah. you plomp, plopped me uh, into the, like, you know, the, the is it the left seat <laughs> if you're the captain? Is that right? Yes. <laughs> Thank yes, you. Yeah. Just checking, just checking. Uh, if you pop me into that seat, that I wouldn't have the first Scooby-Doo of a clue <laughs> of an idea how to even turn on what I believe is known as the APU, which is the thing. All yeah. right, I have an and advantage. You'd think, you'd think that those, those pedals are like um, your toy car, wouldn't you? you know, well, like, I assume they're the brake and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Well, no. Oh, just a matter of interest. I've just been on to Pakistan International Airlines website because I was do. thinking of booking a flight, <laughs> uh, obviously. And the strapline says a whole new way of flying right um i think they've got that right haven't they uh, okay uh, um, i mean that's... I, I think that the, the, the problem that they've well the um civil aviation authorities around the world they should be grounding this airline immediately and not allowing them to fly through their airspace in my opinion i think anyone i mean let's face it aviation is the most heavily regulated industry mm. we have probably apart from medicine i, I would imagine um and um the, you cannot have a situation where you've got uh, unqualified crew no i mean, I mean do, I, I, do I, they I, just do they just go into the room and say oh have you got your license today oh yes here look yeah, yeah, here's my license. Yeah. A chocolate digestive. <laughs> right. Is that all right? Yes, that's okay. fine. You can go and fly. I mean, in fairness, the, you know, I mean, the story is actually saying um, that uh, somebody else sat the exam for them. So they have they have the paperwork. Uh, it's just, you know, they didn't do it. Uh, but I'm going to take a few. I'm just going to pop up a few mm. things from the chat, chat room, actually, room. if I may. So, so my question about the Pakistani pilots is, are they going to just ground them or are they going to actually prosecute them as well? And I think that's a good point from Uncle Micah there. That That is uh, that is quite a serious. Uh, quite a serious thing uh, Tony is uh, not sitting on the fence on this one he's saying that PIA should be grounded full stop um, I mean I have to say given this information uh, I kind of agree Tony, uh, Richard Adams, I nearly said Tony Adams I don't know why I said that uh, Richard Adams is saying I suppose forklifts and flying could be similar with the fabled Airbus uh, up down buttons of course there is <laughs> There is that. Uh, and side shift. And side shift, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and the main one, Micah, is saying that, uh, Matt, uh, make the analogy, what would happen if someone without a license was found driving a coach? 
filled with children as you do so often, which is a very good point, isn't it? I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I would like to think that that was never possible. I guess what what I what the point I'm trying to make here is is like you know the thing is if you've ever driven a car, you could get into a coach and. You could certainly go forwards and backwards and, mm. and all that kind of mm. thing because, you know, especially the newer ones, they're all automatic. So you put it in drive or you put it in reverse. That That's fine. But that's kind of where I'm going with this. I mean, like, you know, if you get onto a 737 and sit in, you know, in the left seat there, I mean, the only reason I know about the APU is because of an upcoming plain truce that I was doing with, with Al uh, last week uh, that we recorded uh, that's coming up later you know and I, the only reason because of that conversation so I know the first one of the first things you've got to do is fire up the APU I wouldn't have a first idea which button it was <laughs> you know and that's kind of my point here it's like so I mean they I don't even know how this would even work I mean I guess they must have had some basic training but they wimped out on the exams or something I don't mm. know but um yeah there we go i don't know so moving swiftly on before matt loses his Sorry, cool with yes. that story <laughs> yeah. nev, nev you've got uh, you've got some sad news regarding the 380 well yes but i mean there's there, there is an inevitability about this but it's uh, this is on the simpleflying.com website and it's all about saying goodbye or air france saying goodbye to the a380 and it says it's always hard to say goodbye especially when you know that it is for good however today air france says goodbye as it operates its final airbus a380 flight on an aircraft which is less than 10 years old now the french flag carrier became the first airline to scrap the gentle giant altogether on uh, october the 30th 2009 was a giant day for air france uh, the french flag carrier took delivery of its first airbus a380 the airline went on to take on uh, 10 more of the super jumbos however after today the a380 will no longer fly for air france uh, well, it had a fitting flight number which was uh, af380 and it was explicitly scheduled by the airline to say goodbye to the type. Much like an aircraft's delivery flight, this exceptional trip was strictly by invite only. But how do you get an invite? Well, the flight was open to 500 members of staff chosen from the pool of crew that had worked on the Airbus A380 during its time in service. After departure at 1557, the aircraft uh, climbed to 21,000 feet and flew rough, roughly south from Paris Paris until it reached Montpellier. Uh, however, the aircraft didn't get to fly over its Toulouse birthplace. I mean, how about that for a fail? <laughs> That's where the thing starts, surely. Anyway. Um, so. At least do a loop however, of it, you know. <laughs> however, it did get to rendezvous with an undelivered Airbus A350 in Air France colours over the Gulf of Lyon. At the time of writing, the aircraft was flying back towards Paris for its final landing to mark the end of an era. So why is it saying au revoir to the A380? Well, this didn't come as a huge surprise. The airline had already earmarked the entire fleet to be retired over the next couple of years. Indeed, it had already retired its first A380 before the pandemic. Whilst it's unfortunate that the aircraft under 10 years old is being retired, it makes sense for Air France from a financial point of view. 
According to the airline, retiring the A380 fleet immediately will set them back a total of 500 million euros. And uh, the airline will book this expense in the second quarter as a non-current cost slash expense. However, the uh, alternate does not make sense for the French carrier, uh, the flare carrier. Air France had earmarked the air, uh, aircraft for retirement over the next couple of years. Meanwhile, IATA doesn't believe that demand will return until 2023 or 2024. And this means that there is little to no chance that these A380s will fly again before they were retired anyway. Uh, there's no point in paying to maintain something that won't fly again. While sad, this won't be the end of uh, the Airbus A380. Indeed, the largest operator, Emirates, says that the giant will return to the skies in its colours in mid-July of this year. So uh, let's see what happens there. But uh, we've all said it before, haven't we? This was a, obviously a fantastic aircraft, but it was just... Uh, launched at the wrong time, uh, unfortunately. Had it uh, had it become um, an aircraft which was uh, earlier, maybe three or four years earlier, it might have had a different outcome. Yeah, it's such a shame. Such a shame. Uh, I, actually, uh, Tony, uh, as always, has got a great uh, comment in the chat room here. He's saying it reminds me of the knee-jerk reaction when they also retired their Concords. Yeah, yeah. but I think there is some similarity there. But, of course... Uh, I mean, in the case of uh, Airbus and the manufacturers of Concorde, they decided that they'd hike up the um, uh, the maintenance fees to more than British Airways could possibly afford. So Air France wanted to retire it uh, in any case. So it's, the, the circumstances were slightly different. But nonetheless, um, you know, considering the airframes are only 10 years old and normally you'd expect to run this kind of aircraft, you know, for 26, 28 yeah, years probably. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very premature. Yeah. It does seem sort of very, um, very early, doesn't it, to sort of to yeah. to, to say goodbye to uh, to such an iconic aircraft. Although, also, I think it's worth mentioning. Also, uh, I, I was uh, having a, a chat with uh, producer John, and he'd done a bit of research actually beforehand. The, the configuration, because I think it was in in a, in economy or something silly, it was only three hundred and something or other passengers that they had it configured for. You know, it, you know, yeah. I, I, I couldn't help but feel that they weren't, you know, utilising mm. its monstrousness, if you like, to mm. its full capacity. Having said all of that, actually, I mean, the A380 was not everyone's cup of tea as a passenger either. And a lot of people have said that they prefer uh, the 787 or the A350. And I, having said that, I mean, I've obviously only been on an A380 as a, um, when it's on the ground at Farnborough when we did some interviews there. So, yeah, it, it's, um, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but of course you need to be able to fill these aircraft at serious capacity these days. And of course they won't be able to do that uh, for no. some time. I think. But uh, let's see how, how uh, Emirates get on with it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we've also got a comment in the uh, the chat room, uh, which is not. Uh, it's not. Yeah, otherwise. actually, uh, oh, there uh, it is. Yeah, sorry. Thinks that uh, in the chat room that uh, he thinks that they might uh, go for charter airlines, and that's that's interesting, isn't it? Because look how well uh, High Fly High Fly did. Mm, true. Um, so, and with um, Emirates having so many three eighties. Um, it's a possibility they might need um, standby aircraft or spares or all this kind of thing. So uh, that is yeah. true, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That could, could, as you say, so it could end up with someone. You know, you could end up with a few of these. No, literally that. Um, uh, actually, or, actually, on and on a sad note for for anyone who hasn't travelled on a three eighty yet, it is sort of 
dwindling down the amount of choices that people have now to to um to have the chance to fly on the 380 yeah i just, mean yeah. It, i suppose in their defense though because it is such a monstrous aircraft of course the, one of the issues has always been the fact that there aren't that many airports that are able to take it as well i mean so mm. that that is an issue um yeah. but then you know, uh, if Highfly uh, can do it, then then that's fine. Uh, Lisboa Lisb- is actually saying, uh, or, or Nelson, sorry, is saying, uh, or if they find a way of transforming it into cargo. And of course, we d- we did do a story a few weeks yeah, back, we didn't did, we, about yeah. the A380F that, for reasons best only known to the aviation industry, it just never took off, was it? There was just, you know, they did some concepts. <laughs> I love that. And Very good. Nobody. Uh, <laughs> you did, that was brilliant, man. Thank you, thank you. I'm here all night. Uh, Alan Loveday <laughs> says the A380 is my favourite aircraft uh, business class is fab so there we are he's clearly mm. a big fan uh, i'm being told we need to move on so the next story is um broken currently because my computer's misbehaving here we go uh, simple flying is the website in fact actually isn't it their second second birthday i think is it today i think uh, yesterday, sorry. Yes, that's right. It was uh, Simple Flying's second birthday yesterday. So happy birthday to Simple Flying. We love your publication, as I'm sure you know. And mm. uh, the headline on this particular one is WestJet 737 forced to divert as passenger removes mask to smoke. Huh? <laughs> I knew that would get that reaction. Uh, on Sunday, the 14th of June, a WestJet Boeing 737 flying from Vancouver to Toronto had to divert to James Richardson International Airport in Winnipeg. The diversion was due to an unruly passenger who allegedly lit a cigarette and failed to comply with crew instructions to wear a mask. The man faces a hefty fine and is charged with several offences. Um, according to CTV News... Um, the uh, the RCMP, that's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, were called around about 2.30 in the afternoon, central daylight time, and were directed to meet the aircraft uh, at the Winnipeg airport. Uh, they were advised uh, this male had lit up a cigarette on board and was also not listening to any of the directions from the flight crew, which included to don his personal safety mask as well. Corporal Julie Shorain uh, the Minotoba RCMP via CTV News. The 60-year-old man, the 60-60-year-old man from British Columbia was arrested and taken into custody. The uh, individual faces several offences, including failure to comply uh, with flight crew instructions to wear a face mask. According to Transport Canada, this is a very... Is, this is the very first time anyone has been charged with the new offence, which uh, carries a maximum fine of, of uh, circa, well, or, or sorry, 5,000 Canadian dollars. That works out about 3,700 US dollars. The directive, which requires all passengers to wear a face covering on board, was issued just two months ago. Um, I mean, thoughts on that story, people? <laughs> it just, it's just like something out of a, an old... Kind of one of those old airplane films, you know. You see that the see the it was a comedy at the time, but you know you see the people sit back, you know, cigarette out, you know. I mean, I, I personally can remember the times when you're allowed to smoke on air, on board aircraft. Yeah, it was horrible. Was going, going, going back, <laughs> yeah, and when you when you checked in, you were asked whether you want to uh, sit in and smoking or non-smoking part of the aircraft, which is um. But I mean, of all the things, now that's that's so past. You know, you don't smoking on aircraft now. There's, 
it, it must be inbuilt into everyone's brain from an early age. Yeah. It doesn't happen. Smoking I mean, that, on aircraft. I mean, that, I mean the, the smoking on board has never been, uh, you know, I mean, that, that came in a long time ago, didn't it? I mean, there, there's, there's no two ways about that. But the, you could be forgiven for perhaps not being aware of the rules in regard to having to wear said face mask on a flight. Um, the bit that I can't get my head around is when the cabin crew say, because I, I, I have no doubt that they will have come up, gone up to that person and nicely said to them, mm. just wanted to remind you the rules that you are required to wear a face mask, you know, throughout the entire duration of your flight. Uh, you know, if you could pop it back on and then, you know, perhaps we'll bring you a drink or something like that. You know, and, and I do wonder if this whole smoking thing was like literally a two fingers up to to, you know, the the poor cabin crew, essentially, well, you know, who were just trying to make yeah, a point, yeah. you know. I, I, and also, if you see, I mean, the, the fine involved, I mean, it's nothing, is it? It's $2,200 for endangering the safety of an aircraft. That's the, that's the bottom line. And uh, the cost of diversion for this sort of thing in that sort of situation, I'm going to pluck a figure out the air because I don't know. I'm going to say it's about $20,000. Yeah, I think you're right there, Nev. So, yeah. you know, it's ridiculous. Um, and uh, we've all been flying long enough now to know the rules of the game, haven't we? Indeed, so. that is true. Uh, I should just quickly uh, add, if that's OK, so Matt Gould, who is the lawyer representing the man involved, says that there was a language barrier telling CCTV in terms of what an individual was told or how that was interpreted and what was made from that. It's difficult to come to any useful conclusion at this time. Certainly everyone's innocent until proven guilty. I'm loving the deathly silence there from everyone. There are, there are no words. There no, are no words. I think it goes back to that old one that we pull up on the show every now and again. Aircraft need an airlock. Yes. Right. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Put them in, press the button. <laughs> Bye! Yeah, okay. I'm sure the crews would love it. Anyway, yes. before we get sued, on, Carlos, to yeah. the next story, <laughs> and we couldn't go a whole show without mentioning COVID-19. And uh, this one is uh, from a few sources, aerotime.aero, uh, golfnews.com, uh, and also chp.gov.hk. Uh, Emirates flight EK380 brings COVID-19 cases to Hong Kong. So over the past two days, the government of Hong Kong indicated that the city's Centre for Health Protection, or the CHP, has discovered a number of new COVID-19 cases within the city. Many of the uh, new asymptomatic cases allegedly arrived from Pakistan on an Emirates flight from Dubai. Documents issued by the authorities in Hong Kong and the CHP show that on June 20th and June 21st, many of the virus-carrying people arrived in Hong Kong from Dubai via Emirates on flight EK380, reported uh, South China Morning Post. The document reported 27 cases being brought on EK380 into Hong Kong on the 20th and 19 cases on the 21st and 13 cases on the 23rd. Flightradar24.com data indicates that an Emirates Boeing 777-300ER on flight EK380 arrived in Hong Kong on June the 20th and June the 21st, 2020. Both flights were operated by the same 777 registered Alpha 6 Echo Quebec Delta. Uh, the Dubai-based airline restarted flights to Hong Kong International Airport on June the 16th after its first flight to Hong Kong landed on May the 30th, 2020. All arrivals from high-risk 
risk areas, including Pakistan, are sent to a 14-day quarantine centers, uh, which are based in Hong Kong. The most recent examples of a similarly high number of cases detected on board a single flight to Hong Kong was on May the 30th, 2020, when a Qatar Airways, Qatar, QR818 had 16 passengers test positive for COVID-19, as highlighted in the report. Another example of high volumes cases on board flights was when another Qatar Airways itinerary uh, from Doha International Airport brought 12 positive cases to Athens, uh, Venezuela Airport. You right there. <laughs> yeah, same problem as you. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, in Greece, in early June 2020, following the flight, Greek authorities suspended flights from Qatar to Greece for two weeks. So it's uh, just a st- in a statement that's uh, been put out, Emirates said, following the announcement of positive COVID-19 cases in Hong Kong relating to certain passengers who are travelling on our flights, Emirates has taken the decision to temporarily suspend passenger services from Pakistan from June the 24th at 0400 hours Pakistan local time. In the meantime, Emirates will continue to operate repatriation flights into Pakistan as per the announced schedule and to operate cargo services that support the trade and movement of goods between Pakistan, UAE and our global network. It's also just to note that although many media outlets are claiming uh, that Pakistan is the only source for this COVID-19 cases, this hasn't actually been confirmed by any concrete data that I or our producer can find reference to. Do you know what? I wouldn't want to go on a flight which is full of, you know, potential all right, Carlos, COVID-19 Car- uh, Yeah, people. all right, okay. Oh, I'm going to throw this another way, Carlos. Let, so, obviously, we, we did a story involving, um, you know, Pakistan a moment, that you know, a few stories We did. Back. So, let me throw this to you. Would you rather get on an aeroplane that is full <laughs> of COVID-19 passengers <laughs> that is being flown by competent pilots... You know, uh, you know, for a very awesome airline that is Emirates, would you rather do that, or would you rather get on this particular airline that we mentioned earlier, where some of the pilots may not have the qualifications one would hope for? So I would go up and say, "Have you got your qualifications? Can I see them?" They say, "No," and I say, "Get out! I'm flying this plane." Here we right. go. Right. Okay. Yes, I think yes. I, I, oh, John's just said in my ear uh, a very good point. Actually, is that not the definition of hijacking? <laughs> no, but the, the thing of it is, I'd make sure that they have the fish supper or the fish dinner. What? What and kill them? What? I, 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 I don't know. Anyway, we're clearly not going anywhere with the story. It was worth a try. Uh, <laughs> so, next uh, story uh, coming up is uh, for Nev, and we're moving across to the US for this one. We are, and it's on the uh, flighttag.com website. Uh, and it's about uh, the American Airlines, uh, who welcomes customers to the new Terminal B at LaGuardia Airport this week. And the new state-of-the-art arrivals and departures hall will boast a more comforting experience for customers and upgraded workspace for AA New York team members, uh, starting on Saturday, uh, June the 13th. Uh, so that's just uh, a little while back, wasn't it? Uh, the new Terminal B will be um, America's main arrival and departure facility with direct connections to all concourses. Uh, as more customers take to the skies, American is ready to welcome them to New York in this reimagined facility launched by uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo and developed in partnership with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. And LaGuardia's uh, gateway partners, says Jim Moses, Vice President of Northeast Hubs and Gateways, 
for American Airlines. By centralizing our operation, we can better care for our customers, delivering an intuitive, seamless experience from curb to gate. The opening of the first new arrivals and departures hall is a major milestone in delivering on Governor Cuomo's vision for a brand new, world-class 21st century LaGuardia Airport that the region deserves, says Rick Cotton, Executive Director of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. We thank the contractors, subcontractors and union construction workers who worked through the pandemic to deliver this extraordinary building on time and on budget. Today's opening should be a shining symbol of the region's potential for a strong economic recovery with the vitality of New York before I, COVID-19. Nev, 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 sorry. Did, did you just say the words I don't think I've ever heard mentioned when it came to a building project, that it came in on budget? <laughs> well, it, they say it has, so it must be true, mustn't it? Um, but mind you, having said all that, it needed it needed some refurbishment because uh, I haven't flown out of LaGuardia for ooh, a, a long time, but I remember back in the day, it was, a, it was a, not a great experience, I have to say. Um, so, I mean, it's good that they, they've done that. Um, and, um, well good on them that's why i, I think i think it's worth mentioning actually we have a bit of uh, podcast royalty in the chat room the legend that is sir captain of nick uh, is currently there uh, although uh, slightly miffed because he's sort of taking the mickey out. apparently i look a bit warm here in the studio and he's asked oh, yeah. if, if the aircon is <laughs> has gone off it's like what the heck that's is air i mean i do have the oscillating fan that's just behind me but uh, i think that's about the limit of it here I'll, i won't lie to you as a as i hinted earlier in the show that you know that <laughs> i am wearing shorts underneath me Sure, I have to be honest. <laughs> anyway. I just thought you, I just thought you decided to be very smart this evening. <laughs> yeah, just, just from the waist up. Yeah. Just regarding the, the last story, uh, Mike in the chat room says, the Guardia is the most difficult airport to get to in New York. The train and bus connections are miserable and trying to drive there is also very, very difficult. So, um, mm. But once you get there, it's fabulous. It's just getting there that's... Right. <laughs> well, there is that. Okay, so uh, now we're, we're moving on to the next story, and I understand there's been a, a, an in-flight change, he says, choosing his words carefully, because I, I was about to play a, a video, but apparently I'm not now. Is that correct, Armando? No, 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 you are. Oh, I am. Oh, I am playing out the video. Okay, right. I, I, that will teach me for just glancing at my messages and not reading them properly, won't it? So uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to press a button now. So Armando, uh, the next story. Seamless look. Nobody will ever know. Uh, the next story is with you. From ABC News, pilots donating their time, aircraft, and skills are really living up to their name, helping families across the country during the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Angel Flight Northeast, based in North Andover, Massachusetts, is linking volunteer pilots with communities in need. The volunteers have taken to the skies to deliver vital protective gear to hospitals in Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey. They've delivered COVID-19 test kits to Minnesota and even food, water, and clothes to Navajo communities in the Southwest United States. But the angels swooped in to help the Cooney family in Boston, just as one example, when mom Elizabeth landed a new job teaching at a California charter school in May. Elizabeth Cooney's nine-year-old son, John, was battling cancer, and the job would help support the family and get John the specialized care that he needed. Unsure how they'd get to California, the angels stepped in to help. We're really just touched that someone that doesn't even know us is willing to do this, she told ABC News. We are really, really grateful. So the nonprofit has now flown about 400 flights across 15 states since the pandemic began. 
volunteer pilot Richard Jacobs told ABC News uh, in Massachusetts just after the returning from a flight. He says, I'm based in New Bedford, Massachusetts, call sign Angel Flight 1818. In these COVID times, people seem to forget the fact that there are a lot of people struggling with cancer and other medical issues. Now, Jacob says that he started volunteering because he loves to fly. Uh, this gave him an opportunity to help people at the same time as flying. And he says that all of the volunteers feel really good after each mission. Now, Jacobs has done more than 750 flights for free. He and his team are always ready for the next mission. Meanwhile, in California, the Cooney family is there and filled with gratitude. So the Angel Flight Organization is part of the Air Care Alliance. It's a public benefit flying organization. What is public benefit flying? Well, using their own time and general aviation aircraft, pilot volunteers from the many flying organizations help hundreds of people each month. They and many other non-flying volunteers work to transport patients in need to facilities where they are able to receive the medical attention that they might otherwise have to do without. Many groups also play a significant role in providing disaster and emergency relief, serving our veterans, flying for environmental support, transporting animals, taking youth on educational flights, or performing other general community service missions. So especially now when people are searching for ways to contribute to their communities, these organizations, these aviation organizations, are an example of ways that one can volunteer, especially our community. Uh, it's not just pilots that they need. They need organizers, ground staff, mechanics, and so many other specialties. So take a moment to look up the Air Care Alliance on the web and see if there's a way that uh, you can volunteer and help out. It's a shame we don't uh, do things like this in the UK. Obviously, we've got... Um the kind of people who have been helping out by moving stuff by road. But I, I don't think I've heard of many stories in the UK where we've had, um, you know, GA pilots ferrying stuff. Around. Obviously, the UK is a hell of a lot smaller than the, than the US. Well, I, but... I, think, I think that's the point, isn't it? Uh, you know, mm. I mean, you know, the, these flights are taking place because of the sheer land mass involved, mm. I think, in, in getting these things. I mean, but they do, they, you know, there have been, uh, you know, transport organs and things that have been sort of moved either by helicopter mm. or, or air ambulance or whatever. So, I mean, it, it does happen. It's just, you know, I, I, think, I think we're just much smaller. So, you know, it's, uh, that, that's mm. the thing, yeah. No, it's good these things these things happen. Obviously, with, with situations where patients need something incredibly fast, it's obviously a lot quicker to get these there by, by air, be it uh, fixed wing or, um, or, or rotary helicopter. So it's, uh, it's good that these, these things happen, especially, like we said, in the US. And I think they also do this in Australia. I think they have a, a, a similar operation in Australia because Australia is obviously, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a huge... <laughs> Um, but no, it just goes to show, doesn't that, guys, that the the important role that um, all varying types of uh, aviation has uh, with kind of the the health services across the globe. Yeah, that's very true. That is very true. Okay, so that's where we're going to bring the commercial segment to a close. Uh, next up is something a little special uh, that uh, a, a new series that myself and Captain Al have been working on together and uh, it gives me great pleasure to uh, introduce to you part two of this week's Plain Truth
and welcome to part two of The Plain Truth. Joining me again, it's the awesome Captain Al. Hi, Captain Al. Ah, hello, Matt. How are you? Oh, living the dream, living the dream. <laughs> now, <laughs> one of the things uh, that uh, I've seen lots of what I can only describe as dramatic videos, shall we say, we'll call them dramatic videos, of planes in flight being struck by lightning and one of the questions that's always been bugging me in the in the back of my mind basically is if uh, an airplane is struck uh, in the air uh, by lightning uh, what effect does that have like on things like the electronic systems and 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 the way that the pli- the, the plane flies and have you had a have you had a, a lightning strike uh, in your time in the air okay well the first thing i'll say is that lightning strikes to airplanes look far more spectacular to the people on the ground looking at them than they do to the people on the aeroplane. In fact, when I've had lightning strikes, the majority of passengers weren't even aware that it took place. And I'm, I'm not kidding you there. That, that's just, just how it is. I'm not trying to downplay this. So when lightning hits an aeroplane, and maybe we'll talk a little bit afterwards about how this kind of happens and what we do to mitigate it. But when the lightning hits the aeroplane, And it's usually kind of like on the pointy bits, so it looks for a sharp edge, so usually on the the wings or the tail or somewhere like that, or occasionally at the front of the aircraft. All that really happens is that if you happen to be looking in the direction of where the lightning came from, you'll see a white flash, no great surprise there, and you'll hear a bang. And truthfully, it's no really different to the sort of noise that you might hear if one of the cabin crew drop a teapot in the galley or something like that. So we're not talking about anything deafening. It's loud enough to notice, but it's not going to deafen you. The lightning will enter the aeroplane. Sometimes you can have multiple strikes. Usually it's a single strike. So there'll be uh, an entry hole. Uh, And I'll talk a bit about the hole aspect shortly. So the lightning will enter the aircraft pass part of the way through the fuselage. So I want you to think of the fuselage as like a, a cage for the lightning to travel through. And then it will leave the aircraft. And quite often it will leave by different pathways. And what you'll find is after a lightning strike, there'll be on the fuselage of the aircraft, uh, tiny little sort of pinprick holes and a little bit of sort of like scorching or charring. That sounds quite Severe, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, Yeah, it's not. uh, Because aeroplanes, by their very design, and we're not talking Hollywood here, where someone shoots a gun in an aeroplane and everyone is sucked out. Um, Aeroplanes, by their very design and nature, are not airtight. So there's lots of leaks in aeroplanes. Usually the lightning strikes happen to parts of the aircraft that aren't pressurised anyway. So they're they're inconsequential. Of course, they need to be repaired. But... um, it, it's it's very akin to having a, a pinprick hole on an ocean-going liner. You're not going to sink. So that's kind of what tends to happen. Usually, that is the total drama for the pilots. Occasionally, on depending on where the lightning strikes, you may have a computer system that goes offline and needs to be reset. Um, I've had, I think, about six lightning strikes in 20 years. And in all bar one of those, there was absolutely no uh, event uh, whilst we were in flight. 
Um, so if you have a computer that just briefly goes offline, it will either self-reset or it will require the pilots to reset it. So that's basically the event. When the aircraft's landed, there are some maintenance checks that have to be carried out. Uh, one of those involves checking that the compass is still correctly aligned because you can have a situation where after a lightning strike, the uh, electric field from uh, the lightning causes the uh, compass to become misaligned. So that's one of the things that the engineers will do. Uh, they'll also look at the, the little exit and entry holes and make sure that they're not in anywhere important. Uh, sometimes if they're in a sensitive area, maybe near some probes, or indeed they did occur to one of the pressurized areas, uh, they'll put a patch over it. Now, I'm not talking about a bit of um, sort of rubber or latex with some glue here. Um, they tend to be aluminium or titanium, and uh, they're riveted onto the side of the fuselage. And if you look on an airplane that's maybe uh, had a strike or a, a ding, you'll see these little patches uh, on the aircraft, and they typically stay there either till the next major check or indeed for the, the duration of the aircraft life. They're, they're not a problem. It's, it's not a big deal. Uh, so aircraft manufacturers spend a lot of time trying to uh, minimize the strikes that aircraft have uh, because although they don't represent any great threat to the aircraft, they do temporarily ground the aircraft for a maintenance check. So one of the things that they do is all in the, on the design. So obviously aluminium is a very good conductor so if you're going to get hit by lightning, then the lightning will travel around the aluminium or through the aluminium and uh, leave the aircraft. The reason the aircraft gets struck, by the way, is because they're flying fast through the air, uh, they generate friction and therefore static. So it's inevitable that um, it, in, in similar sort of way to, you know, like you do that trick with a, uh, a balloon where you you rub it against your chest and then put it against your or near your hair and your hair sort of stands up on end yeah well it, it's kind of similar to that as to why aircraft become statically charged uh next time you're near a, a large airplane if you have a look on the trailing edge of the wings and on the tail you won't see the tail you'll see um little sort of floppy bits of uh well black plasticky looking things. They're about the size of a drinking straw. Uh, they're actually called static wicks and they are designed to allow the aircraft to discharge as much of its static charge as possible. So th these are all trying to minimize the likelihood of being struck by lightning. And then there are certain bits of the aircraft that can't be made out of aluminium. So the nose cone, uh, that's where the weather radar sits. So obviously uh, you can't have a weather radar behind aluminium because it wouldn't be very effective. So that tends to be made out of carbon fiber. Uh, same with the fuselage of the uh, Boeing 787. That's largely carbon fiber. So what the aircraft manufacturers do is they bond within the carbon fiber uh, strips of metal. Again, same principle. Lightning hits the airplane, goes down these strips of metal and leaves the aircraft. You mentioned there, obviously, that it looks for like sharp edges and all that kind of thing. And you did sort of mention off, often that the wings uh, are, are often caught. Now, uh, my understanding is that the, the fuel is essentially stored in the wings. Um, it's, it's essentially the wings become the fuel tanks. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that is correct. So that the, within the wings are fuel tanks. So uh, 
first of all, the fuel in there, it's not petrol. It's uh, Jet A or Jet A1, uh, kerosene by another name. And if you were to take a, a jug of kerosene and drop a lighted match into it, what do you think would happen? Well, I mean, you know, I would, I would assume that it would just go boof and up in a big ball of flames. No, no, the, the match will extinguish. Um, so in a very similar sort of way, remember kerosene is uh, not as sophisticated as diesel that you put in your car. So uh, kerosene uh, only burns under certain circumstances. It has to be pressurized, etc. Same as diesel, really. Um, so what we're talking about really is, is something that, yes, it will explode. But with regards to lightning, all around the fuel tanks are basically a, a framework of metal that will deflect any of the lightning away from the fuel tanks. What experiences have you had of, of lightning strikes? Have they, have they been dramatic in any way or have they all been sort of fairly non-events? Uh, all bar one of them was a complete and utter non-event in the air. Uh, the one that uh, wasn't, it wasn't a big deal actually, um, it just demagnetized our standby compass. So modern airliners have fairly sort of sophisticated uh, gyroscopic or uh, GPS-based uh, navigation systems, so we're not reliant on your sort of like typical magnetic compass. But we have a very basic magnetic compass as a standby compass and when you looked at that after the lightning strike, it was just sort of spinning around because it was no longer <laughs> magnetised. No longer in the working. Same way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, and bear in mind that that is the standby compass. So the the primary uh, compasses. I was going to say compi then, but I think the plural is compasses. Um, we're all working fine. It was just the the standby compass that was affected. Wow. So, I mean, from my point of view, obviously, you know, what you've described sounds very terrifying, but actually the event itself uh, is really of, of no consequence to the aircraft in the main. Absolutely. I mean, I'm genuinely telling you that the majority of the passengers don't even know it's happened. Uh, one thing I will say about lightning, though, and this is especially true uh, if you're flying at night, if we're flying above or uh, clouds that have lightning, or if you see lightning... Lightning at night time, because it's very bright, tends to look very, very close. <laughs> and I can tell you that it's nowhere near as close as you think. So I've had a uh, cabin crew come to me and say, um, a couple of passengers have asked about the storm. And I go, yeah, yes. So I say to the cabin crew, of course, you know, reasonably experienced at these things. So I, How far away do you think that storm is? And I go, oh, um, I don't know, three, four miles? And I go, okay, now I'll put it up on the weather radar here. And I'll go, yeah, it's 140 oh. miles away. <laughs> oh, wow. And I suppose because it's nighttime, essentially, the, the brightness of said storm is very much amplified, so you can see it. For, Absolutely, There's, there's yeah. nothing to get in your way up there, of course. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I, in a similar vein, I've, um, I've heard, you know, had cabin crew who've come to me and say, um, we heard a bit of a bang. Um, do, you, do you know anything about that? Um, so that's far removed from the cabin crew coming in and screaming, yeah. saying, you know. <laughs> uh, so uh, honestly, like I said at, at the very uh, beginning, it can look quite spectacular to people on the ground. Yeah. 
but it doesn't look spectacular to those people who are on the aeroplane. Honest, Gov. <laughs> That's a great place to end. Thanks, Captain Al. My pleasure. <laughs> oh, thanks, Captain Al. What, f- what a lot of fun. I've got to say, hats off to uh, to the to the graphic maker of that uh, for the new episode. There, I, I noticed the new uh, Plain Truths graphic, Matt. Uh, yes, I can't take any credit for that. I'm afraid that's down to producer John. Uh, I can't take any credit for that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm really enjoying this series. Actually, it's it's an awful lot of fun. I've got to be honest. And uh, uh, seriously, guys, if there's any questions that you want answered when it comes to things you didn't know about uh, aircraft, um, you know, and... Oh, and Tony has got a suggestion in the chat room. Uh, oh, can we get Captain Al to do a segment on severe turbulence? Ironically, I do have that in the cards, uh, on the cards, and hopefully we're also going to be joined by one of our local weather guys here in the east um, who's going to help us explain all about turbulence, and then Al will explain, hopefully, uh, he says, learning via this rather than official channels uh, about... Uh, <laughs> about it but yeah very much so that is uh, that's a great idea and one that we just come up with as well this ironically only today tony so uh, well done there but anybody else got any ideas about thing you know things that they'd like to to know about any myths that they want answering or debunking uh, this is the place to get it done so make sure you send us an email podcast at plain talking uk.com that's podcast at plain talking uk.com uh, i'm not quite sure what captain nick is on about here he's saying or well, maybe a segment of grapefruit I, d- I don't know what that's all about. Um, it's, uh, it's. Uh, I think the sun must be going to his head or something. Uh, but uh, there we are. Now, before we move on to the military, Carlos, I just thought uh, I might have to uh, uh, just share with you something here. Now, I- I'm not really quite sure. It's just pictorial, which is, uh, is-, is to do with the military. Uh, but it's just uh, this. This, I suppose, is what I can only describe as. Uh, if you and if you can get the uh, show notes up in front of you, Carlos, to sort of talk talk us through this. Uh, this, I can only describe this as if you're Jonathan Warner this is essentially pornography uh, what I'm about to put up on on, on here Uh, and uh, this is the example there Carlos if you could perhaps just uh, sort of uh, run people through what we're looking at here yeah so this is um, as you said Matt kind of uh, kind of uh, uh, exciting picture for those (laughs) in the uh, grey lovers kind of thing and uh, this is a picture of uh, some uh, F-16s, 12 U.S. Air Force F-16s, 12 Kuku Jietai F-35As, uh, two U.S. Navy EA-18G Growlers, uh, one U.S. Navy C-12 Huron, and two U.S. Air Force MC-130J aircraft, and a United States Navy P-8 Poseidon, which are participating in uh, the Elephant Walk at Misawa Air Base, and this is June the 22nd this year. The Elephant Walk showcased uh, Misawa Air Base's collective readiness and ability to generate combat air power at a moment's notice to ensure regional stability throughout the Indo-Pacific. And I have to say, honestly, that is that's quite an impressive it's, it's picture, quite a look, to be it? fair. Absolutely. There we are. So, that, um, so that's Jonathan Warner happy uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, what we'll do is we'll now move on <laughs> to the military. And uh, Armando, take it away.
course is set to test a new fighter pilot training plan designed to fix deficiencies and reduce the time needed to transform a raw student pilot into a fighter flight lead from 40 to as few as 22 months. The new concept of operations exploits the in-jet simulation capability of the new T-7 Red Hawk, which we talked about on previous episodes. That paired with ground-based virtual reality and artificial intelligence to accelerate student progress. Called, the program called Rebuilding the Forge, or Reforge for short, uh, the new concept of operation was signed on June 2nd by General Mike Holmes, the head of Air Combat Command. If the tests are successful, it would lead to the most radical transformation of Air Force pilot training since the 1950s, according to its authors. The switch to a dual-track, specialized undergraduate pilot training in the 1980s was a far less dramatic restructure, they said. Now, this new system could potentially reduce the time that it takes for a student to go from starting uh, specialized pilot training to a combat-ready fighter pilot in as little as 18 months in the future. Now, in addition to fixing deficiencies in the existing syllabus tied to the inadequacy of the 60-year-old T-38, the new system will free up flight hours on the frontline aircraft, making those hours available for real-world operations. This concept of operation also leverages new virtual reality simulation technology, as well as in-flight simulation capabilities built into the new T-7 Red Hawk advanced training. So Boeing is both building that aircraft and developing the courseware and the simulators. Once it's proven, this new concept of operation would mean acquiring additional T-7s from Boeing. The existing contract provides options for up to 100 more than the 341 called for in the initial deal. The T-7s needed for Reforge could be different than those built for undergraduate pilot training and might warrant a different designation, such as a TF-7, which could demand separate engineering and manufacturing development programs. Now, specialized undergraduate pilot training now takes about 12 months. After that, fighter-bound pilots go to fighter fundamentals course, find a T-38, and then onto a formal training unit in their particular fighter. The whole journey lasts about 40 months before the pilot ever reaches fighter qualification, including change of station moves and refresher trainings. This new uh, concept implements an initial tactical training course, or ITT, that merges the latter two phases and slices about a year off the program. So ITT graduates, uh, according to a spokesperson, uh, will only need about half the time necessary to qualify in their intended fighter. Uh, They will arrive at their formal training unit, quote, with a higher level of tactical skills, uh, sharply reducing what the FTU, or uh, formal training unit, must teach in these expensive high-end fighters. So the cost savings of the new plan have not yet been vetted, but the savings are not the goal, said uh, David Tim, a contractor on the ACC, or Air Combat Command staff, and a co-author of this concept of operation. According to the F-22 community, they are spending 60 to 70% of their sorties, or their flights, teaching their new pilots basic skills and upgrades. Um, Teaching those skills sooner with an advanced trainer, you're able to save about 50% of the training days, or 60% of the F-22 flights 
that are currently allocated for training in a formal training unit. And these squadrons can now use that money to focus on combat training. The new concept of operation also halves the training time at those formal training units, allowing double the pilot production in the same time and increasing the throughput, throughput of students. Uh, this should help the Air Force work off the fighter pilot shortage, according to that spokesperson. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Luke Schneider says, we're not looking to cut hours, we're looking to repurpose them. If we cut hours and don't increase readiness and beyond, uh, or if we cut hours, we don't increase beyond what is right now. So the aim is to use the hours better, teaching pilots how to employ the fighter instead of how to take off, land, and do pattern work, as well as operate sensors like radars and targeting pods, he said. So this new tactical course is going to include augmented or virtual reality and artificial intelligence enhanced instruction, permitting pilots uh, more opportunity to learn and advance in a way that best suits their learning styles. Uh, Colonel Snyder said that AI will adapt the instruction to the individual, reducing the number of sorties and simulator events uh, in skills where a student is already proficient, and adding them in areas where more work is needed. These high-fidelity simulations will also allow far more repetitions of needed maneuvers at a far less expense than in the real airplane. So fewer real-world events are needed to progress. So in addition to sharply reducing the training time to become a fighter pilot, this new progress will give pilots more stability by also reducing the number of change of station moves that they have to make during their pilot training period. They would move after winning their wings and do ITT, or the tactical course, at the same base where they join their first fighter squadron. There are three aspects to the current pilot shortage, said a spokesperson. Production, absorption, and retention. This program, Reforge, addresses those by increasing the throughput of new pilots, getting them experienced more quickly, reducing their change of station moves, and improving their quality of life, and thus improving retention. So because pilots today aren't getting the same operational hours flown even 15 years ago, they don't have as much airtime or experience when they get to a combat unit. This also impedes them as they move up. If you haven't been a flight lead, your next assignment options are extremely limited. Um, Colonel Schneider said reforge attacks this problem and the hope is that solving it will also help retention by reducing career frustration. So pilot production has been cut in half during this pandemic, but the Air Force plans to start ramping up about 80% of pre-COVID-19 levels by the end of June. Um, General Holmes from Air Combat, Air Combat Command also said that he thinks the T-7 might be acquired for Homeland Defense missions as an aggressor aircraft or as a platform on which to uh, partner with some allies or coalition members. He says that the T-7 was designed with growth and flexibility in mind. If Air Combat Command's reforge program determines the need of additional capabilities, the, product, the producer, Boeing, is well positioned to support their customers' evolving requirements. 
Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's such an interesting program, isn't it? And I think what's, what's interesting is, is you're, they're literally sort of, well, more or less halving the time, aren't they? So it's going down to, was, I think it was 40 months down to 22, uh, mm-hmm. to get qualified, mm-hmm. which is, um, I mean, I guess it would make it's it more appealing, job. wouldn't it? I think it would make it much more appealing to, to commercial pilots, you know, to sort of maybe, you know, have a go at both. I, I mean, the question that I suppose I'd have to ask Armando is, because obviously Armando's been there and done that and wrote the book kind of thing, but, you know, can you condense all that amount of training to be a fighter pilot that much down, quite, it's quite a big jump down to, to as few as 22 months of just training? Is that possible, to condense that amount of training? Well, as the article said, Carlos, the way that pilot production has taken place in the Air Force hasn't changed very much since the 50s. It was, uh, you go from airplane to airplane, you go from school to school. And I think the reason they're doing this is there's a twofold major, two major reasons. One is it's a new generation. Uh, Kids learn, kids, young young pilots, (laughs) they they learn differently uh, than, than our generation. These kids that are going in, I think you have to be between uh, 19 and 32 years old to start pilot training in the Air Force. So the Air Force is now adapting their teaching style to a more technology-based approach rather than sitting in the airplane, doing pattern work, takeoff landing, short field landing, soft field landings, emergency procedures. You can, you can really... Uh, tailor that to the newer generation of learning. Second is the aircraft were old. Even even our T6s, uh, advanced trainers, the T38 is going on 50 years old as a first step into fighter trainers. So the advancements in the training aircraft, especially with the T7, is going to allow a very, very flexible fighter trainer that, that can be both and it can uh, it's almost the IKEA approach. It's a modular trainer that you can load software into it to simulate um, advanced tactics, weapons employment, weaponeering, uh, ground attack roles, all, all with one airplane. So I, I think those are the two things that are enabling the Air Force to to have that pilot training. Is, is they learn different, and there's new technology that they're finally implementing. I, hmm. I mean, it sounds like a fast. It may well work. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Uh, we, believe it or not, we're starting to run out of time. So, Carlos, on to oh, the next, next story, story, please. Yeah, <laughs> next story. Love this story. This is uh, there's, there's only a few handful of military aircraft I do like, and this is one of them. So, this one is coming from the Barrett's uh, Barrett Observer. As a few of the uh, um, stories has come from, but uh, so this is geopolitics is cha- uh, changing as the B two again flies Arctic missions together with the Norwegian F-35. So two B-2 Spirit, I love this aircraft, it looks so cool. Uh, The Spirit strategic stealth bomber were Thursday flying from an airbase in Missouri across the North Atlantic to the skies over the northernmost northernmost parts of the Norwegian Sea. The uh, origin of the planes belonging to the 509th Bomb Wing 
and uh, indications of the flight patterns were confirmed by the Public Affairs Office of the United States European Command. As the long-range bombers approached international airspace outside northern Norway, a pair of F-35s from the Norwegian Air Force teamed up. And operations and engagements with our allies, they said, and partners in the Arctic region and elsewhere demonstrated and to uh, the strength of our shared commitment to global security and stability, said uh, General Harrigan. Uh, a British online forum for military plane spotters said the American B-2s were cleared to fly uh, to about 70 degrees north, somewhere between halfway northeastern coast of Greenland and northern Norway. Exact flight patterns were not confirmed. So geopolitical, uh, geopolitical, uh, geopolitical Arctic uh, mistrust. So Thursday's missions fills into a clear and dramatic picture of geopolitical mistrust between NATO and Russia's, which is currently building up uh, in the north. Uh, U.S. strategic bombers have been on at least five joint missions with Norwegian fighter jets in the Arctic over the last seven months. While the American long-range bombers uh, on occasions fly further northeast, into the Arctic, the Norwegian fighter jets of uh, avoiding uh, flying east of the maritime delamination uh, line uh, in the Barents Sea. So like last November, when three B-52s flew over the international airspace in the Barents Sea near some of Russia's most strategical important naval bases on the Kola Peninsula, uh, the F-16s followed the American planes to about uh, outside Norway's northern, northernmost town of Vardo, while the B-52s flew further east. So a uh, military expert talking to the Barents Observer believes, he said that we are witnessing a new normal in regards to military presence in the Arctic. The Air Force activity is part of the emerging normal situation of U.S. and European regular military presence in the high North, says defence analyst Per Eric Solly. He explains how these activities have multiple effects. They enhance the tactical inoperability between aircraft from different nations and uh, U.S. and European operational planners gain valuable lessons in cooperation, Solly says. And it underlines that American long-range bombers are also similar missions, flying similar missions over the Baltic Sea. The flights are always published and clearly as part of a plan of geopolitical and strategic signaling, he argues. So, Matt, you put a few pictures up there of the B-2s. I know... Um, um, of, uh, well, they're, they're an amazing aircraft to see. Mm. Some for, unfortunately, they don't fly over here very often or <laughs> at all, if at all. No. But it'd be good to see one of these. Ever. I'm pretty sure that Jonathan Warner has probably got a He'll thousand have a He'll have a whole memory card full of them, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, now, on to the next story. Nev, this is a, an interesting one, shall we say. I love this story. And, and let's put it, there's been, a, shall we say there's been a lot of media interest in this particular story uh, of late. Especially social media, which is just lit up. <laughs> and is your favourite subject, obviously. I just can't <laughs> find some of the words, but we'll come to that a bit later on. Um, <laughs> this is on the uh, standard, eveningstandard.co.uk website, and it says that UK Prime Minister's RAF Voyager has taken to the skies for the first time since its £900,000 revamp. Glinting in the sun, the jet's new white paint job with a Union flag on the tail fin and United Kingdom written in gold on the fuselage was on display 
as it took off from Cambridge Airport on Thursday afternoon. Boris Johnson had previously complained about the grey military paint scheme used on the jet. But the cost of the respray was condemned by uh, opposition politicians when it was revealed earlier this month. Uh, Downing Street said that the work would cost around £900,000. That would mean the plane could better represent the UK around the world with national branding. Officials have uh, insisted that the plane would still be able to fulfil its military role as an air-to-air refuelling tanker. Uh, At the time the price tag was revealed, the Prime Minister's official spokesman said that incorporates the cost of creating a design that will promote the UK around the world without compromising the plane's vital military role. At every stage, we have worked to ensure value for money for the UK taxpayer, and all of the work has been undertaken in the UK, directly benefiting British suppliers. But Welsh Labour MP Carolyn Harris said £900,000 to put a flag on the Prime Minister's plane. That could pay for 60,000 free school meal vouchers. Oh, dear. (laughs) But they don't go as fast, do they? (laughs) Um, Acting leader of the Liberal Democrats, Ed Davey, added... The drug dexamethasone uh, uh, that can potentially save the lives of people with coronavirus costs £5 per patient. Boris Johnson could have bought 180,000 doses of that, but instead he's painting a flag on a plane. Mr Johnson has previously questioned why the plane was grey, and while Foreign Secretary in 2018, he said he would like a Brexit plane to help him travel the world. He also complained about the unavailability of the aircraft, adding it never seems to be available. I don't know who uses it, but it never seems to be available. Uh, The plane is used by Mr Johnson and other ministers, as well as members of the royal family. It was being flown from Cambridge Airport to its base at RF Bryce Norton in Oxfordshire. Where shall we even begin with this? Uh, it, It just... I know where I stand on it, and, and, and there's many other correspondents that are, that are 180 degrees uh, opposed to my view. I think it's perfectly reasonable to have the plane repainted, particularly as it was part of a maintenance schedule anyway. I, I mean, um, also, as I say, I've just popped a picture up there. I don't know if you can see it, Nev, but obviously... So, I mean, this is what it looked like before the paint job. Um, and oh. I can kind of see why why it got this sort of label, if you like, for being... I mean, it, it doesn't look fantastic in that current livery, does it? I mean... It now, I, I'm, I'm fully... I, I don't mind for people that have contrary opinions to mine. That's absolutely fine. But what I do find extraordinary is, the, is these comparisons uh, when we talk about prices. Um, I, I don't understand that argument at all. Um, yes, if I hadn't bought a house, I could have done this. Or if I hadn't bought a car, I could have done that. You know, there's, and I know it's, you know it's public money at the end of the day, um, but there are, you know, I think it was done at uh, Marshall's in Cambridge. Uh, yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's great that it's been done in the UK and, you know, it's benefited UK jobs as well, uh, particularly under the current job circumstances as well. Mm. I would have thought that would be quite... I mean, you know, my, I don't well. know. I mean, I, I, I guess we're, we're in... I mean, in the military, in commercial and all that kind of thing, we're quite often running stories where people are watching, you know, Air Force One fly into usually Stansted here because that's where the security and everything you know that's where it's you know that's where they can take control of the environment perhaps best I suppose that's the best way to describe it I mean I'm not saying for one moment that a British politician flying into the States will get anywhere near the kind of interest perhaps that there is when you know the President of the United States comes here to London or comes to the UK but 
I, I, I don't know. I mean, there, yes, there are probably lots of things that that money could have been better spent on. But is it is it so bad to spend some money on on brand UK? I, I don't know. Especially, again, it was probably part of a maintenance schedule. And I don't actually know this for sure, but I, I would imagine it certainly was part of a maintenance schedule. And therefore, um, you know, designing it and, and painting it how they have... The aircraft needs painting anyway, whatever happens. And everybody was, I was, noticed some serious inaccuracies in the um, in social media and other parts of the media saying, oh, it's only a short-haul aircraft. It's an Airbus A330. <laughs> that is not a short-haul aircraft by any stretch of the imagination. No. So, yeah. Um, and also, the Queen's flights, the 146s, which are based at RAF North Holt, um, they're getting on a little bit and they don't have anywhere the kind of range that the A330 Voyager does. So, you know, I, I've got no problem with it at all. But uh, some people on social media have lit up about it and I'm having to turn it off mentally because I can't stand reading it anymore. I, I Sorry. you know, it's, um, yeah, there's, there's an interesting sort of, uh, thing in it for for me really as I say I mean I I see it very much as um, the I don't know as I say I I, I is it uh, is it so bad to sort of think brand UK that's what I'm thinking I mean whether whatever your political opinions are in regards to um, you know where we are in terms of Europe and things like that I you know we're in this bed now we've got to lie in it one way or the other and i i, I just think it's something i personally feel it's something to be proud of and to sort of you know i, I really like the idea um personally uh interestingly enough actually uh, john has put in the show notes he's saying that and i think this comes from the travel statsman so those ba747s that had the retro liveries yeah. cost roughly two hundred thousand dollars a pop um <laughs> So I mean that that gives you that puts it a little bit into into perspective, doesn't it? Really, the, the actual cost, and that's and, just uh, for the paint. Yeah, yeah. remember yeah. Mrs. Thatcher didn't buy yeah. much, did she? If you remember, there's no, of, uh, no footage of her putting a handkerchief over the tail uh, at an exhibition uh, <laughs> model aircraft. I mean, I, I, everybody's favourite columnist, shall we say? Should we call him a columnist? I don't know if that's even. Uh, perhaps I shouldn't. <laughs> well, um, well, would you? So. You know, Alex, someone or other. I can't remember his surname. No. Um, yes, I, 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 several of our our friends in the community have had an awful lot of uh, fun correcting uh, factual inaccuracies uh, that have been <laughs> that have been published uh, by said person. But uh, anyway, I think we should move on before uh, we all get told off. Uh, I guess, but <laughs> we're going to go on to the next. Actually, uh, do you know what? I'm going to risk it, uh, Armando. And I know you're um, you're uh, sort of a little bit busy at the moment. But I mean, I, I say I used the example of of you know the excitement that we have here when the president of the United States uh, comes into stances and stuff. I mean, do you think this could potentially have a similar sort of feel for for when one of our statesmen say goes over to the US or is you know on trade deals and things to to sort of think i mean do you think this would um you know brand uk do you think it'll work all right so like nev i'll i'll caveat by saying this is my personal opinion i do think it's worth it i think it's important to have uh the military show their patriotism especially when you're traveling overseas um there is a certain it's the reason we have the uh you know the pomp and circumstance of of the military 
heritage guarding the royal palaces uh you know go the way the reason we have parades when when states uh men arrive in a, a new country i think it's important to to exhibit brand uk i i will say even gray costs a lot of money when it's a government contract so like Nick said in the chat room, the plane was probably due to be painted anyways. And you'd be surprised how much just a bland gray, perhaps even radar absorbent paint could be triple the price of what you think it would be. So it is entirely possible that this may be actually cheaper than, mm. than a military grade gray paint job. So we just don't know those numbers. And I think, uh, I think it's a, a good deal. I think they should. You should have one airplane in the fleet that that is brand UK. Yeah, uh, Alan Loveday in the chat room has actually said that it was. Wow, somebody sort of agrees with me. That's slightly scary. He says, "Agreed, Matt. Uh, we used to have Britannia. Um, of course, I mean everybody used to get quite excited about Britannia, and of course the Royal Train. Uh, I mean, I remember that as a kid. Um, and uh, you know, the, I mean, the, the, nothing really. We have it. We don't really have anything like that that compares nowadays. So maybe this is." is an attempt at, at exactly that you know I, I don't know i mean we could i'm i'm sure at some point we'll come back to this debate but um i think uh, as armando needs to get on we should uh, perhaps move on to our last story um and uh, it's an interesting one a bit of a us first it is this is a really important story um so just last week the air force announced that the next chief master sergeant of the air force the 19th Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force, will be Chief Master Sergeant Joanne Bass. Now, she is the first woman to be the top, uh, seat, the, the top enlisted leader of any one of the American services. Um, and also, of note, uh, we did a, couple, a story a couple weeks ago that General uh, Charles C.Q. Brown will be the first African-American Chief of Staff of any of the services also. So the Air Force has always been, since its inception in 1947, one of an organization of pioneering diversity and inclusion. And this time around, um, they are demonstrating that with, with the top two leaders in the United States Air Force. And also the secretary, the acting secretary of the Air Force is also a woman. So it's a first for any of the services. Now, Chief Bass, I've actually worked with her in the past. We were in, in a assigned to Pope Air Force Base together uh, back when she was a, a junior enlisted in, um, sergeant. And she, I can guarantee you, and, and there are so many people that have come out in support of her, that she is being picked for this job because of her qualifications. She is currently the Command Chief Master Sergeant for 2nd Air Force. Uh, she's got thousands and thousands of airmen that she is responsible for. And uh, there were over a dozen candidates that are eligible for the, for the top enlisted position. Um, and she is not there. She will not be there just because she is a woman. She is there on her merits and her long and very, very accomplished career. Um, so I think it's, it's important to outline the relationship between officers and enlisted. And here in the United States, as I, as I traveled the world during my military career, I realized that we had something special in 
in the U.S. and in the U.K., Australia, um, that the relationship between officers and enlisted is a, is a very special one. So commissioned officers, those are your lieutenants, captains, uh, colonels, generals, admirals, uh, squadron leaders. They are, they, well, they used to be, you had to have a college degree, at least in the United States. And they are a small force of leaders being, being trained to command. And for every uh, leader and commander at every level, there is one senior enlisted leader and a staff of enlisted individuals that, uh, that actually interact and lead the forces, the troops per se. And that relationship is really, really special. I, I heard a really good quote once that says, officers command enlisted lead. Um, and for me, as, uh, as an Air Force member, I always enjoyed taking the commander's directives, mission, and vision, and I was the one to execute that mission. I, you know, that your senior enlisted leaders are the ones that, that know the troops in and out. They know their personal problems, and they are the commander's advisors on how best to implement a leadership toolkit to to ensure that those people uh, accomplish the mission. That is a very, very close relationship between a commander and their senior enlisted person. So having Chief Bass be uh, at at the helm of the Air Force with with, uh, incoming General Brown is just going to be a a huge uh, step for the United States Air Force and the United States military. And I have no doubt that she's going to do a fun, that they as a team will do a fantastic job leading uh, the Air Force through this tumultuous time. And um, I'm really, really glad. It, 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 it filled me with joy to hear that she was the one being chosen for this position. So um, that will happen in August. She succeeds uh, the 18th Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force, Khalith Wright, who was just an awesome individual. Everybody looked up to him, took on some really, really ambitious initiatives and, and accomplished it. He absolutely delivered. So she's got some uh, <laughs> literal big boots to fill, but, um, but she's going to do a fantastic job. So I, I think it was worth noting that this week. Wow. I mean, yeah, as you say, it, it, it's great news, isn't it? And it's uh, um, maybe a long time overdue, really, that sort of, uh, positions like this are, are are you know being filled uh you know more with equality uh is i'm not sure if that's the correct term but i think everybody knows what i mean it, it's it's great to to know that you know at least it is it, it is in this day and age now possible uh for something like this to happen and um it's it's it, it sounds really exciting times yeah, apparently there is a question from Micah in the chat room. I'm having a small technical yeah, Matt, issue here. Micah was asking, uh, what, where do the warrant officers fit into the picture? So warrant officers are commissioned officers. The Air Force in the United States does not have warrant officers. They used to, I think, back in the day, have flight officers. But So, for example, the Army has warrant officers. And um, the, where a warrant officer fits in is they are, they are a commissioned officer. Um, however, they take more of a technician role into in, in their career field. So that may be an intelligence career field, an aviation career 
airfield. So that's where, where most people know warrant officers in aviation is, is Army helicopter pilots and fixed-wing pilots are, are often a warrant officer. So they're not, they're not uh, they, don't, they don't have the same career path into, you know, large leadership roles. They will largely specialize in there, which you need. You need some commissioned officers to be specialized in their, in their jobs and lead the troops. Um, so that's where warrant officers fit in. Uh, the Air Force chose not to pursue a warrant officer program, but, uh, but it is very effective in, in many military organizations. Very cool, very cool. Unfortunately, that is where we need to start wrapping up, I'm afraid. Um, just before we uh, disappear, actually, I need to, uh, as I say, <laughs> I had this all working nicely. and we, we, so I've just got a few gremlins in the studio here that I need to look at. But uh, uh, Micah actually messaged saying, uh, and apologies if you're listening to this either on Catch Up or on the podcast, but uh, Micah's actually saying, Matt, could you guys give out a reminder about the Airplane Geeks meet-up tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Time? Uh, that's midnight UK time and 2300 hours GMT. Uh, there's um, a nice. Uh, I think it's. I think it's by a Zoom. I think uh, which you, you were. You were part of uh, last time they did one, weren't you, Carlos? Yeah, for their big show. Um, I joined up with those guys for their. Um, I think it was the six hundredth episode. Yeah. Of the airplane geeks, and I joined up on Zoom. So yeah, it was good. So I'm not. I, I assume they have to get into contact if they haven't got the link, link already. I think they need. to Yeah, get the in information touch is available um, on both the APG and the Airplane Geeks Slack team okay apg and um okay because it is sorry <laughs> i get so confused yes they they are one of the same aren't they <laughs> yeah so the, um <laughs> i think uh mike mike will probably have any details as well if you're in yes, the chat room true. and you want to and you want to uh, join yeah. in with that um just ping uh, mike a message in the chat room he'll be able to uh, to look after you indeed uh time to so, wrap up carlos Social media links. So search for us on the social medias. Search for Plain Talking UK. Don't forget our WhatsApp number, plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. You can send us a picture or an audio message or a video, and we can play that out on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you're listening to the show as an audio podcast, send us a little bit of feedback. We do love it. Also, don't forget to check out our, po- our website, uh, www.plaintalkinguk.com. On there, you'll find the links to our shop where you can go and purchase a lovely T-shirt and a lovely 100% cotton T-shirt, I might add, with embroidered front. And also, don't forget, you can email the show at podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Send us an email through there. That'd be great. And also, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel? Uh, You'll get notifications when we go live, which is always handy. And you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the live chat room, as a lot of you guys and girls do. So take yourselves over to www.youtube.com and search for Plain Talking UK. Also, if you're shopping, which I have this week twice, you'll be pleased to know that. Use the Amazon link on our website. You can click on that and uh, we get a nice little kind of... uh, referral uh, sort of kind of thing we yes, get ad, uh, ad, ad, advertising fee essentially yes it? exactly yeah. and also if you do have a spare quid or two behind the sofa or 
somewhere in your house under the floorboards you can become a patreon of the show we've got a few new patrons joined us in the last few weeks so big thanks to you guys and girls thanks very much for that that is incredible yeah. in this especially in these day, times it's, it's in the incredible. times that we are in yeah so if you want to become a patron of the show uh, if you take yourselves over to our website the links are on there to join us on patreon and there's also a link on there if you can want to make a one-off donation via paypal and i'll tell you what it does every single little bit helps and that's why i've got this this lovely microphone in here and i don't sound like i'm in a toilet anymore like which I we're so pleased do. about absolutely which, is, which yes. matt and nev of <laughs> and and john as well are incredibly we're very incredibly excited about absolutely uh just uh, a quick reminder uh, next week we'll be announcing a very exciting competition if you yes. were here at the top of the show you'll know that we had uh, the very lovely andrew from the plane reclaimers and they've very giant generously donated a 150 pound gift voucher that you can use i know 150 pounds to spend on some really cool things in their shop details on how you can win that voucher will be coming up in next week's show and just to give you a quick idea if anyone was just thinking of going over to their shop if you go over to the playing reclaimers website go on their shop with that 150 pound you can honestly guys you can, you can get some pretty <laughs> awesome stuff uh on there and uh, some of these bits and pieces are from some quite iconic aircraft which have a good history behind them and one of the things you could buy as andrew is talking about on the show is those bifolding doors from uh, a triple seven you can buy those uh, toilet the bifolding toilet doors um, but there's also a huge amount of stuff on there take yourselves over there guys it is a fantastic little web page to go to in a shop um, if you are an av geek like we are absolutely uh, that's where we need to bring everything to a close uh, take care everyone say goodbye Nev see you have a nice weekend take care and uh, Carlos say goodbye bye everyone have a good weekend Armando say goodbye bye everybody see you next week take care let's go bye everyone bye Bye.